the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. It's all legal and extreme rules, Taft. This does not bode well for Mike Knox. Thumbs up. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you hear that shot that Kelly took with the cane? Oh, that was blatantly low and legal. Oh, my God. Another one. Are you kidding? Look at this. Socks on. But he's leaving his girl from behind, Mike Knox is... Oh, he's leaving his girl from behind, she's, she's out cold! She's knocked out, Kelly got whacked with that back in Burnley, I was assume with that Singapore cane by Finn, man. And Mike, Mike Knox just left her here! Mike, Mike Knox, who's supposedly so jealous of his girlfriend being an exhibitionist, just, just leaves her here after she gets caned in the head! And now for nothing, what a shocking turn of events that Mike Knox would get the victory over the Sandman! But oh my god, we gotta have hope that Kelly's okay. And I I, I just I thought just leave that Rod Nessel B. Look at this. Yeah, let me examine it. Oh my god. Oh my god. It looked like it looked like Sandman was aiming for no, Kelly. It looked like oh not to me. I don't mind you. It kind of looked like Mike Nuts. I hate I don't know. It, it, it certainly appeared that that may have been the case that you that Knox pulled Kelly in front of himself. Kind of look like that. Oh my God! I hope she's okay. This is not good. We 
we certainly hope Kelly's going to be okay. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, brought to you today and powered by Figures Toy Company. Head on over to figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com and check out the two amazing action figure lines, the Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling, as well as the Legends of Professional Wrestling. With over 30 stars to choose from, these figures are perfectly in scale with other brand wrestling action figures, and you can have them at your fingertips by going over to figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com. So get on over there right now. And check them out, and we'll talk about them in just a couple of minutes again. But welcome to another great episode of the Two-Man Power Trip of Wrestling. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP, John Paz. And John, we are strapping in for a long one today, but I'll tell you something, the hilarity does not stop for one minute of this two-hour interview with former ECW and TNA superstar, Mike Knox, also WWE superstar, can't forget to mention that. Mike Knox, whether it was uh, his a relationship with Kelly Kelly, whether it was his time in the Aces and Eights, this guy had a hell of a run in the WWE system, but man, did they not play to his strengths, which was his personality, because this is an amazing look at a guy who did not have the ability to talk on air, but holy crap. Everything that comes out of his mouth is hilarious, and this is uh, this is definitely a fun one. And I got to tell you, you got to strap in for a uh, quite quite the lengthy interview with John as I welcome you in. Now we don't want to rush it, but we want to get you right to it because, man, oh man, I mean, we knew right away this was going to be great just from the uh, from the jump because his personality just basically it outshines everything on the show. He's got great stories. He's got a great history. And it seems like everything that he told us uh, had some kind of like little anecdote to go along with it. And this was uh, this is one stellar episode, and I think you'll definitely enjoy this two hours of greatness out of Mike Knox. Oh yeah, I mean he's so funny, and and even talking to him off air, I was like, you know, before we did the interview, I was like, man, this is going to be a home run for us because he is so funny, so energetic, uh, so charismatic, if you will. He's got so many good stories. I mean, uh. You just mentioned one thing to him, and he goes off on a tangent of just an unbelievably funny story, an unbelievably great story. And it's funny that you said that WB really dropped the ball with his personality because that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, man, if you see a guy like this, he's funny, he's big, he looks like a monster, but he also has a, a wide range that he could do and a great personality. He can really make you laugh. Wouldn't you do something else with him? Wouldn't you, you know try to develop something with him they say the guy couldn't talk obviously he talks very very well and a lot of great funny stories in those two hours any little topic you give him he goes off and he takes it into a funny tangent or a funny anecdote and i just absolutely love everything about this interview when you think about his time not only in the wb and in ecw version in the wb and in TNA with Aces and Eights. I mean, there's so many great stories. I love that we get another Aces and Eights guy on the show telling even more intricate and more detailed stories about that faction, whether you love him or hate him. This is a great, great story for Mike Knox. And, you know, speaking of his time in WB's version of ECW, I have to give a shout-out to the Superstars of the Squared Circle trading card set. This is great. If you go to superstarsofthesquaredcircle.com, you can check out a lot of the great stars, and this is including 
WWE ECW stars such as Matt Hardy and Tony Atlas are in the set, as well as legends like Stan Hansen, Abdul the Butcher, Terry Funk, and the living legend himself, Larry Zabisco. So check it out, folks. This is a really, really cool card set, and I feel like this is going to start to boom a little bit. So check it out, superstarsofthesquaredcircle.com, or hell, even email superstarsofthesquaredcircle at gmail.com. Chad, that's pretty much all i got to say because there's so much going on with, with Mike Knox in this interview. I don't want to really you know, go that much further in, in depth. No, I don't blame you because this is fun. It's funny. It, it's you, you can't stop laughing at him. And uh, when I edit the episodes and I get to hear, you know, uh, hear us talking back and I hear, you know, me laughing in the background. And this is one where I had to keep on like telling myself, like, shut up, stop laughing, because everything he says has like a funny little response to it. And when we talk about aces and eights, let me tell you something, that faction, I, I, we've taken to it and speaking of it in such a positive light. Uh, I think Mike Knox might take the cake, and that's including us talking to Ken Anderson, Wes Briscoe, Garrett Bischoff, and also Mike Knox here. Who else? Who, am I forgetting one? We have one other one, don't we? D'Lo Brown. D'Lo Brown. See, I always forget D'Lo. And so we have five guys there talking about aces and ace. We get Mike Knox into the mix now, or Nux. We'll, you'll hear all about that. He's Nux in aces and eights, but... Great to talk about the Aces and Eights again, and great to have Mike Knox on the show. Mike, if you're listening, we appreciate you taking that time uh, to just go so in-depth in your career, and um, we're glad we could have a little bit of fun. So with all that being said, we're going to get right over into this interview. Please go to figurestoycompany.com and wrestlingsuperstore.com. Check out the Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling line, as well as the Legends of Professional Wrestling line, and please pick up that franchise Shane Douglas figure and bring it to a town near you whenever Shane's going to be popping up in your neck of the woods. And you might as well even bring it out to Feasterville, Pennsylvania on Saturday, September 29th. You can go to our Facebook page for all the information on that Icons of Wrestling show where the franchise will be teaming up with Francine one more time. So get on over to our Facebook page and check that out. So let's do this. Let's hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the man behind the menagerie, the one and only Mike Knox. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, he is 
a former WWE superstar, a former Deep South World Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Nuts of the Aces and Eights. He is Mike Knox. Enjoy. Deep South Tag Team Champion. You may remember him as Nux in the Aces and Eights faction, a topic we love to talk about on this show. But he's also a former WWE and ECW superstar. He is the one and only Mike Knox. Mr. Knox, thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip. Thank you, boys, man. Nice to talk about you. I didn't know you liked the Aces and Eights so much. I'd have sent you a vest or something. (laughs) Hey, we never earned that cut, but we will definitely try our asses off. To uh, to get oh, on board, worry, brother. Don't worry, brother. We just let everybody in. <laughs> shit, they, shit, they let me in. Damn, they let anybody in. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get to aces and eights on this show, and we've talked to a couple guys from the group, and um, we have nothing but we've heard nothing but resounding uh, praise from everybody involved with the group, and, and I can't wait to hear what you got to say about it because. Uh, very underrated faction, a very cool time to be a wrestling fan, and uh, we will get into that as this interview progresses. Good, because I like talking about it. Well, that's great to hear. See, I told you I told you you'd fit in really well with us, but what's going on in the world of Mike Knox these days? You know, we haven't seen you on TV since around the time of the Aces and Eights, but obviously people in the wrestling business move on to do bigger and better things, so what's going on in the world of Mike Knox these days? Well, man... I got old, bro. You know, my knees, my knees ain't as good as they used to be, you know, and your back always kind of hurts. You, you, you look at the the old timers who I have such respect for, like, you, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, they, they wrestle until they're, until they're a foot in the grave, you know, and I, I had a bunch of concussions, and it's just, you know, I was I'm thinking that my wrestling career had pretty much gone as, as well as it could have gone. There's, I, I didn't see it getting a whole lot better after, you know, after Aces and H, but, but, uh, you know what I did? I, um, I went out and got my, my real estate license and I got a good job with a great company. And what I'm trying to concentrate on is the fans, the rest of the fans. I spent 20, over 20 years building relationships all over the country with, with the, the wrestling fans. You know, we speak the same language. I don't feel like. You know, I asked you about, like, you know, oh, hey, what do you think about cussing or this and that? You know, wrestling fans, I, I don't feel like I have to apologize, you know, for what I used to do or who I am. So one of my biggest regrets in my whole career is not buying property when I had the chance to. And I didn't do it because I didn't have the money. I didn't do it because, you know, I mean, I didn't do it because I was scared. I didn't know. 
how to do it. I didn't know any, you know, any of that stuff. So what I like to do, man, I like to, to throw my email out there. And if any of the listeners is thinking about getting into real estate, buying a house, selling a house, there's a million different reasons to do it. Better job, upscaling, you know what I mean? Or sometimes don't like it in the face, you know what I mean? You got to downsize and you got to look another way. Um, I just want to be there to make sure people don't get taken advantage of, man. The longer I'm in the business, I realize that there's a lot of crummy agents out there that are just out for themselves. And uh, I don't want the fans to have to deal with that. So I'd like them to get a hold of me. I'll talk to them. I'll tell them some wrestling stories. We'll talk about a little bit of real estate. I'll figure out what position they're in, what they can actually get done. And, uh, you know, let me personally help them go on the right track and get it, you know, get it figured out. Because there's no reason not to. Uh, if there's anybody out there ready, please shoot me an email. M. Hedinga, which is my shoot name, and I'll tell you why if you know me. M H E M dot H E T T I N G A at KW dot com. And uh, yeah, that is my personal email. Any nobody else will be answering anything. It'll all be through me. It is such a cool thing to hear you say all that. And, you know, I've gotten to know Kevin Thorne over the last couple of years, and I see that he's doing the same thing and, and getting in the real estate world and and you've seen all the other guys that have gotten into it too, and you see it as a great outlet for what you guys have done in your career. You you know you learn how to do a trade, and you do it really well. But the fact that you want to integrate teaching people how to be successful and, and kind of manage things and outreach people like that—that's fantastic, man. How has that been for you so far in, in doing that and reaching out to uh, or having people reach out to you in that way? It's it's awesome. Like I said, it, it's it's kind of like going to church. You know what I mean? Like you confess all these, these cool wrestling stories and everybody's got questions and, you know, really my whole purpose is to make it as simple and enjoyable as possible to be in the best place you can be at, man. There's, you know, living on the road for, you know, 250, 300 days out of the year. Trust me. I know how good it feels to go down home to a house that you actually like to go to. Nothing, nothing worse than going home to a place that you hate to be. Oh my God! Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you feel like it's a it's a great uh, trade for you to know post wrestling? Like, is this something that you kind of took too easily because you had that hard work, that dedication of, of cutting your your teeth in the business? And obviously, that takes a lot of work to get to where you need to be. But did you feel like there were a lot of parallels with uh, the real estate world? You know what? There are. It's a it's a lot of um, it's a lot of building relationships. You know, you got to be honest, and you know, if you ain't honest. People are going to find out about it. So that's why I like doing these. I was always a little bit nervous doing podcasts and stuff like that, because if you ask me something, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, there's nothing. Uh, I'm a horrible liar, as you could used to tell from my uh, from my promos, you know, probably probably the weakest part of my game. But, you know, I always thought I was a little weak on that. But if uh, if I'm lying, you'll know it. <laughs> With the podcast, you seem like a natural talker to me. You know, it seems like uh, this is something that's like second nature. You know, you're very conversatable, and uh, and that's really cool. And that's um, you know, that's something that you need too in real estate. You need to have your you know your stick. You need to have your speech. You need to have your uh, you know your say when it comes to certain things. And uh, again, you know, I feel like it's a great natural 
move. But I mean, so, so when you kind of stepped away from the business, it's been about what three years since you stopped wrestling. Yep, it has. It, yep, it's been just about that. And I, I still do a little bit of stuff here and there. Like I, I went over to Japan a few times for uh, for Mister Inoki. Uh, I went to India a few times with the great Kali, one of my one of my good good friends that I've known from deep south even. Um, and uh, I did a, did a movie over there. It's supposed to come out in October. Agabomb Part Two, where I play a a fat white wrestler. They didn't tell me I was playing, so I didn't get in <laughs> shape and I didn't tan. Didn't have any gear either, so yeah, it's going to be real great if anybody ever wants to check that one out. <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but I did whip a lot of ass in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the wrestling scene like over there in India? Did you uh, did you feel that there's it's a, pretty much a hotbed? These days, do you feel as if they're you know uh, they're wanting it out there? <laughs> they, they I, I'll tell you what, I, I had no expectations the first time I went over there. I really didn't. My, um, you know, they, they call me and they're like, hey, man, uh, what do you think? Kali wants you to come over to India and do, do a couple matches. I was like, India? I, was like, I didn't even know there was really a market for it over there. And he's like, well, I mean, shit, there's a... 10 billion people or whatever, you know, whatever the number is like, you know, you know, Kali's over there. He's, I figured he's pretty famous. He's, uh, you know, one of the only, you know, big Indian stars that translated over into American pop culture. And, uh, and they, they hold him with such high regard over there. I underestimated how famous he was over there. The first show that we did, he was so excited because WWE had tried to run there. I want to say maybe six months or a year before, and they did okay, you know, but they, they didn't do great. And, um, you know, Kali came in and it was, you know, it was just a bunch of us on the, you know, it was a really, really cool experience. And the first night we had, we had almost 40,000 people. Wow. The first night. And, uh, as you know, in the wrestling business, you know, the money ain't in the first match, the money's in the return match. So the first match, you know, we went out there, me and Brody Steele and, and uh, Apollo. I hope you know Apollo from uh, Puerto Rico. Big, crazy man. Oh, my gosh. What a big dog. You know, we went out there and just beat the living piss out of Kali. And we did the old concerto. I, I smashed his head into the two chairs. They helicoptered him off. And those people over there, brother, started to riot. We were trying to get out, and they were throwing rocks at us. They were, I mean, the crowd was insane. The, the cops and the security guards, they don't got guns over there. So they're, they're whipping these bamboo suits around, like just hitting all these poor fans. Like, it was insane, man. But I was going, I was going crazy. It was, like, it was like one of those scenes that, you know, one of those parts of your career where you don't get it very often. So even if a rock the size of a softball almost hits you right in the face. You're screaming and egging them on like nothing. I even jumped in the damn crowd. <laughs> it was awesome. So they, you know, they helicopter come. Now the second match comes. And by this time I drank some of the water over there by accident. Oh boy. Something horrible. <laughs> and, uh, I knew that it was the come up in time, you know, and I was just so worried. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to chip myself in front of all these people. Like, you know, what am I, what am I going to do? This could be very embarrassing. So we walk out the damn curtain and there was a hundred thousand people at that show. Wow. I couldn't believe it. 
it was the sea of people just went on forever. And we went out there and I got myself handcuffed to the post somehow. And here comes the, one of the strongest people in the whole wide world with a freaking chair to smash me. And all I could worry about is shit my pants in front of all these people. <laughs> thank God it didn't happen, but holy crap. I have I don't think I'd ever been hit that hard before in my whole life. <laughs> it was like when I was a kid and dad, dad caught me sneaking in playboys, you know, like I got a nice little, got a nice little whooping that day. Oh boy. <laughs> but they've got, we've gone back a few more times and the crowds were always just astronomical, man. And they don't really get a whole lot of pub over there. But and they got Brody Brody Steele over there. He knows how to he knows how to pull a crowd in. You know he's got a, such a great look and his work is solid. And it's just he can cut a promo like nobody's business and he's really great at insulting people. You know, and uh, and he just he's killing it, man. I'm so happy for him all. Now, did they know the American wrestlers over there? Did they have like a grasp of who you guys were at any point? I you know, I'll be honest, man. I don't think they did. I think every single person was there for Kali. You know, they, they treat him like a god over there. I walked in the back, and he's sitting there, and there's five people fanning him, and he's got a, a plate of, of, like, a hundred boiled eggs, and he's, you know, people are just catering to him hand and foot. Like, I, I mean, I think they may have known that we were somebody. And once we got in the ring and actually like started working with some of the boys from India, you know, they're all new. They're all trying to learn. And it's such a different, such a different world over there. You know, it's, it's, it's a different style. You know, you kind of got to guide them along pretty easy, but we get in there and, you know, I, I can't help it, man. You get in front of that many people, you get, you get all turned up and you're like, yeah, bring it on, baby. You know? And it's like, once that, once you, once you unleash the beast a little bit, like they realize, Oh shit, these guys are somebody. I don't know who, but they are crazy. Like so you get a lot you get a lot of that stuff. <laughs> so what you're trying to say is that it, it came a long way from meeting Kali for the first time in uh in Deep South. So are you trying to say the atmosphere of Deep South wrestling and uh out there in India may be a little bit different? Kali may have flourished a little bit more in India. <laughs> yeah, just a just a touch. You know, in India in, in India, he's riding around in limousines and whatnot. In Deep South, you know, a lot of the boys, you know, kind of had to, you know, we had to take him where he wanted to go. And, like, he didn't have a car or a license or any of that stuff. So, you know, everybody's kind of driving around. We're like, oh, shit, who's on Collie duty? Who's on Collie duty? Oh, you know, Dick Gallows is or, or, you know, whatever. And whenever I was, I was driving this little Camaro, so beat up piece of crap Camaro. And uh, right before he got in there, I took the front seat and moved it up all the way to the front. And I never told him for a week that it went back. <laughs> so his knees were up around his ears, you know, and he was just like, I was like, man, driving him all the way into Atlanta, you know, to get, to get the right food that he likes and all that stuff. But Hey man, he was, he was the money. You know, we knew, we all, we all knew it. Oh, he had quite the, uh, he had quite the impact when he, uh, when he made it up to the main roster, but deep South in itself, is quite the uh, it's quite the enigma. We've heard the stories, and obviously for you guys that not just lived it but survived it, you know it's uh, you guys have yeah. quite the tall tale. So give us some of the uh, some of the memories you have about the Deep South uh, developmental territory, because uh, you guys. It, let's put it this way: the WWE Performance Center has come a long way from the Deep South days. Yeah, no shit, <laughs> uh, man. You know you you, you want to be you want to be jealous of the 
of the facilities that they have now. When we moved down to when we went down to deep south, we didn't even have a school. There wasn't even a ring. We were we were at Colts Gym in the in the aerobics room, doing army training, carrying carrying each other on our backs and doing squats and you know doing doing sit out drills and stuff. Everybody's elbows were bleeding and busted up and like you know we we're just like, hey man, when are we gonna get to like wrestle, Bill? He's like, well, hey, you're not ready yet. Like, so we're sitting there, we just sit there and just army training, army training, army training. And the, the people are like the original guys. I mean, still, still to this day, you know, every time I see them, it's just, there, there's a bond there that cannot be broken. It's, it's crazy. I could never, I could never go through it again in a million years. I've said it before. I said, uh, that deep, deep South, all that, all the training, man, how hard how hard we went down there to try to prove that we belong. I mean, shit, I think that took 10 years off my career, but I wouldn't have had it any other way. Cause I don't, I don't think a lot of people could have done it. I'm proud. I'm proud of what we went through, man. 500 squats every morning, run a mile. You're doing cardio for, for an hour before you even get into the ring to do your real cardio, you know? And then you're in there and you, you know, everybody's trying so hard because, you know, everybody was on the list, you know, oh, hey, we're going to open this school down in, down in Georgia. You're on the list. You're on the list. Shit, I was on the list for three years before, before they gave me the call. Every time I talked to, to Johnny Ace or, or to, you know, to, to Dreamer or whatever, you know, oh, yeah, you're on the list. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get you. We'll get you. But then I, at the same time, I'm getting older and, like, just kind of losing. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, no, they ain't. There you go. Let's wait a minute. You're on the list too. Oh, great. We're all on the list. <laughs> but you know, we got, we got like, you know, we had 12 or 13 guys that were originals. And I mean, if you look at the talent that came out of there, you know what I mean? We had MVP, Miz, uh, and that is so incredible. Like the, the Shane twins, the Gemini, they made it up there. Brian Melhot was the original guy. Um, who else, man? We had Tony Santarelli and Mike and, and those guys should have got a shot. I think everybody, everybody there should have got a shot, man. We all worked really hard, and at that time it was kind of like, hey, if you're doing six two and two forty, you don't even don't even bother. You know, don't even, we won't even give you a look. My how the tables have turned now. <laughs> Whenever I got up to TV, whatever I got there, I was like, shit, I don't think I'm big enough. What am I gonna do? You know, like I better, get, you know, I better try to get bigger. I better do this. I better do that. And I'm like. I made it up to TV and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm plenty big, but I'll just get fatter anyways. <laughs> get a little bigger and uglier anyways. Jeez, man. Yeah, man, what a great, what a great group of guys, man. And they could all work their asses off, all of them. Not to mention, there was one girl that was the original. She went through all the, the Gold's Gym training. She did every single squat that we had to do. Which sometimes was no joke, man. We had a day. It was Tony Santarelli's birthday. Twenty five hundred squats without moving our feet all day, just squatting. By the time we got to the end of it, like not one of us failed. We all made it. It was it was crazy. Nobody could walk the next day, but just seeing the way that the guys, you know what I mean. Like at first, we're like, "Oh, come on, man!" Blah 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 blah. And then we got to like. 1500 squats and we've been squatting for two and a half hours and all of a sudden it's like okay shit all right we're almost there and then we get to like you know 500 left and bill's trying to give us a way out and 
the next thing you know, we're like, screw that, man. We got this shit. Like, 25, nobody's going to be doing that. <laughs> this this will be story of legend. I'm so, I'll be telling my kids about it. <laughs> man, what a, man, it was the hardest thing ever and, and, and the best thing ever. Luke Gallows, Connor, Ryan O'Reilly. Shit, I can't believe I forgot them. I, I, I live with them. Um, who else did we have down there at Deep South? Man, Johnny Curtis, I mean, Sandango. We had, man, so, so much talent came through that little town. So much talent, man. So was that your first stop when you got signed? Was it Deep South as the, uh, the, the first destination for you coming in the company? And was Dreamer the... the so was it Dreamer or Ace in, in charge of talent relations at that point? Um, Dreamer was. When I, when I got signed, I was tagging up with Derek Nykirk, who also was an incredible, incredible talent that never got a shot. And uh, we were tagging up. I thought the whole time that we were, almost the whole time that we were in Deep South, we were tagged up. So I figured we would go up to, to TV as a tag. And I always kind of considered myself a tag team wrestler anyways. I didn't really like doing singles. I thought tag team was kind of where it was at. Man, I enjoyed watching like the Rock and Roll Express. And like, you know, there, there's, a, there's a certain beauty in, in, in telling a story with the tag team. You know, one-on-one, you know, everybody kind of tells the same. You know, it's always the same psychology. It's you watching all the matches. You know what you're looking for. You know what's coming if you've been around it long enough, you know. So the tag matches, you can really, really bring a lot of different kind of psychology in there. And, and if you have a team that's well-oiled and just smooth with everything they do, it's like, man, you know, I just, I always thought that was just a little bit cooler. You know, of course, when I was growing up, I was watching the Bulldogs and the Hearts and Demolition and, you know, Powers of Pain. And like, I mean, just all the, all the cool, you know, I don't know, man, I just, I was such a mark. <laughs> I, I would watch every second I could, every second I could, man. I'd record it and watch it back a million times. Like, here's how big Omar was. I was, uh, I was a kid, and I found this tape that I had recorded, and it was right when I first discovered like WCCW, like uh, world world class championship down out of out of uh, Dallas. And it was Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin, both crimson masks, sitting on top of the cage, chopping each other, sitting on top of the cage. And I changed the channel to watch Brutus Beefcake cut Dusty Wolf's hair. <laughs> like, that's how big of a mark I was, man. I, I couldn't get enough. I could not get enough of it. You're uh, uh, sorry, you... I got off on a tangent. No, no, no. I was gonna say, you'll be back in sometime. I was gonna say, you and I, uh, we we could do a lot of talking about uh, a little strutting and cutting because I would have probably done the same thing at that point. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I wrestled, I wrestled Brutus, uh, maybe I want to say maybe like a year and a half ago or two years ago. And you want to talk about 15 minutes of me running for my <laughs> life saying, Don't cut my beard, please? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what a freaking uh. Man, I love working those old school guys. They just they think of stuff just different different than the young guys do. <laughs> Make it so funny. But I see I feel like your generation of guys that were coming into developmental are the last link to the old school way of doing things because you guys were still getting the, the, the last I feel like the last stage of the old guard that taught you the hard nosed way and made you suffer through shit and made oh, you yeah. do the 500 squats and this and that, at least 500. But I feel like you were the last. Yeah, we get, we get the shit, we get the shit beat out of us, man. You know, Bill, Bill I love him to death and he did more for me than, 
you know, than, than almost anybody in the business ever. But we didn't start off as awesome friends. Like, you know, I was trying to get, a, I was trying to get a look over there and he tore my shoulder out. Like at a, like I, I snuck backstage at like a SmackDown or something. And I snuck in the ring and I was trying to, you know, how I don't know if you knew, like back then you could get in there, you know, you could sneak in and you could kind of work out and like, you know, maybe, Hey, maybe just maybe somebody will see me or maybe I'll be a, like a, a cop or maybe I'll get a, a, you know, a squash match or something like that, but they'll get a look at you. So, you know, we we're doing this training thing with Bill. He, he was kind of running shop in there and he put me in a hammer lock and I was fighting because I was a big kid. You know, I didn't really know that much. Like I was still green as grass. So it's like, you know, he's tugging me around he's trying to get me to sell for him and I didn't. And then he kind of stopped and we all kind of relaxed and he's, you know, kind of berated me a little bit and then he freaking popped my arm and tore my shoulder out. And I was like, Oh shit, man. And I, I didn't want to say nothing. Like, of course, but like I had to rehab that thing for like six months <laughs> and then I'd work on, I worked on my, I worked on my craft or whatever. And then like they came back, I was on the West coast out in Phoenix and uh, we we're on the West coast and they came back like six months later or whatever. And I jumped in the ring again and there's Bill. I'm like, Oh shit. And I was like, okay, if he puts me in this thing again, I am going right to the ground. I'm going to sell my ass off for him. And he's going to love me. So he puts me in the hammer lock again. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly what to do. So I go right down to the ground, you know, and he's like, and then he stops. He berates me a little bit. Like, you know, you're so big. You can't just go down to the ground like a pussy. You know what I mean? Like, you got to fight a little bit. And he's he torn the damn my arm out again. And I'm just like, Jesus, this guy hates me. So I, I, I do all that crap and I get signed and, they're like, okay, you're finally going to Deep South. Build a monster head trainer. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, well, there goes my whole career. Like, he hates me. There's no way. Like, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then you get in there and it's like, you know, I don't know if you ever played football or anything like that. But, you know, you get them coaches. Like, if they're not yelling at you and if they don't, you know, if they're not all over your ass, like, they don't care. You know, they, they could give a shit. So, you know, you sit there and you kind of you learn his ways. You get to spend a little time with with the actual man and the family, and the way that you know they see if you're going down a wrong path or something, and they they sent you right in. And it's just like it, it was exactly what we needed down there. It was exactly what we needed down there. We couldn't have people, especially with OVW. Everybody thought OVW was like the number one school, and Deep South was the second school. You know, like oh, you know, Deep South is, is like single a ball and and ovw's triple a so we always had that chip on our shoulder like you know and bill let us know he's like hey man they are talking about you. they watch your films and they laugh and you know they think that we're all you know green as shit and we'll never make it here and like blah 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 and like he had us fired up man and that's what we needed especially to get through the kind of training that he you know the kind of training that he came up with, with johnny rod you know what i mean like I never met Johnny Rod, but from what I hear, he was a freaking psychopath. (laughs) You know, so so, I mean, Bill Bill brought a little bit of that in. And and really, from what I recall, you know, I I don't know if this should be on the record or off. You know, when they brought Bill in, you know, they told him, hey, man, you got to get these guys tough, man. Toughen them up. He's like, teach them the real way. Teach them the way it really is. You know, don't baby them. So that's what he did. And then he, you know. You know, you get to, you know, after you do that for, you know, a month and a year, I mean, a year and a half or whatever, and people come in, they, they're not ready for it. You know, some people weren't, weren't quite up to the task and, you know, we might, maybe we roughed them up a little bit and, you know, showed them like, Hey, 
this ain't ballet, baby. Like this is this is what we're here for. Like if you're coming in this ring, you better bring it, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so we did. You know, we, we roughed some people up, and you know, not nothing bad. Because like I said, I, I've never met a wrestler I dislike. You know, I just you know that's not really me. Uh, anybody that gets in the ring, anybody that that, that laces up the boots and puts the knee pads on and, and really you you know you're doing it for the fans and you're doing it to show off a little bit but you know at the same time like uh, people forget all the risk involved in in wrestling you know it, it could be something as simple as remember when uh, down in Mexico when Ray drop 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 kicked oh gosh I'm so bad with names you know Ray drop kicked somebody in the, like the guy in the back something that's done a million times something he did to me probably a hundred times and and boom that's it you know it's just things things so simple can happen you, you know like i said I don't, I don't mean to keep getting off on different tangents but anybody that steps in the ring and they do it the right way you know and they go through the training and they and they, they dedicate themselves to that i have nothing but respect for everybody that gets in that ring no, that's great, and that was Perro Aguayo Jr. that uh, that he unfortunately Pero passed. Aguayo Jr. Yeah, that that was right. that's unbelievable how long ago that was. But I want to mention just quickly about Johnny Rods. We just interviewed Johnny Rods, uh, you know, a little over a month ago, and uh, after he started, awesome. well, after he started speaking Carney to us, and uh, maybe feeling like he let us in a little bit. I think he was trying to coerce us to uh, come down to the school and get stretched by uh, by the end of the interview. Of course. <laughs> But it makes of course it makes sense, you know, that Bill would be a uh, direct descendant of Johnny Rods, but also, you know, kind of feeling that Bill got a little bit of a raw deal, and almost like if you look down the road from when he got let go in 2015, uh, he's almost better off because uh, with the, the the culture that they've got now, he wouldn't have lasted much longer. No, no. Well, they brought him back for they brought him back for a while. They brought him back. I think I want to say at NXT. Even they had him back there for a while, but but it didn't last very. Long. Right, that was the last one that they let yeah. him go in 2015. Was the uh, the NXT deal where it came out? You know, people were talking that he was too abusive and he was too rough. But he was a football coach. That's all he said to us. He, he was yeah. a football coach. That was it. And you know, let's put it. He would have been gone by now just because the the cultures changed. Uh, you know, throughout uh, society, <laughs> 2015 feels like it yeah. was ages ago. Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Another lifetime, man. Another lifetime. But she's man. NXT. Whew, what a great product, man. Like I said, you, you, you try not to be jealous of the, of the, of the, of the pub they're getting, you know, and you kind of think like, man, I wonder what would have happened if, if we would have had that, like, if, you know, if Mac Johnson would have been the Velveteen dream, you know, if, if, oh God, man, it's crazy, crazy. Just to think about stuff like that. But Hey, we went through we went through war, man. Us, us original fifteen, sixteen guys, and and Lauren Williams. Oh man, that was tough. That was tough, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Were you there when kind of Johnny Ace came and, and I guess Bill Barnes was a part of it, and they basically shut it down? Were you there when they kind of just shut the lights on Deep South? Yep. I don't Had remember it. much about it because I think I, I want to say that I was still I was in. ECW, I want to say at the time, I'm not sure if they're even using me or not. That really, you know what I mean? Because I had the thing with Kelly Kelly, and then I kind of got in a little bit of trouble, and then, and then, uh, you know, they split us up, and 
we, I think me and Punk did a little something, and then they kind of took me off TV, and I was sitting home for a while, like maybe like six months or something. So I was just kind of sitting home going crazy, but I was already released from there. So I would just kind of pop in, you know, and see the people I loved and, you know, tried to help as much as I could. And then I, I showed up one time, and it was just like, later, bro. Like, everything's everything's gone. Everything's tore down. Lights are off. Like, you know, and they just kind of tell us, like, well, shit, you know, well, we're going to move you guys. Like, either you're going to OVW, you're going up to Louisville, or you're going to have to move down to Florida. You know, you're going to go down to Tampa or whatever. And, man, thank God I came down to Tampa. Nothing against nothing against OVW, nothing against Louisville. I just I did not have a great time there whenever I was there. <laughs> now, what was it about Tampa? Was it a little bit of Steve Kearns, a little bit of Dusty Rose? What made Tampa, you know, the go-to destination for you? Well, I was I was uh, I was seeing one of the girls under contract, and they were going to move her, and I said, "Hey, wherever you wherever they move, y'all go." You know, but I had my fingers crossed. I was like, please, please, Tampa, please, Tampa. Because, I mean, I heard that's that's where all the boys, that's where all the boys go to retire, you know? Like, hmm. and, you know, you get on the, you be on the road, like, long enough. Like I was telling you, you're only home two or three days at the most a week. Why go home? Like, why go to a town that, you, you know, you're going to be freezing cold and you're tired and it's kind of small. And it's like, it's a college town. It's like. Here in here in Tampa, man. Like I said, it's the it's the retirement destination for every wrestler, pretty much. Like you, you run into all the boys down here. The weather's good. The it's the the airport is easy and fast, and you know, and all the stuff you were saying with Steve Kern and Dusty Rhodes and you know Hulk Hogan, all the guys that are down here, all the legends, you know, and guys you get to talk to, like Joe Gomez and and, and guys like that. Like I just uh, I'm much more of a much more of a heat guy than a, than a cold guy. I mean, I grew up in Southern California, in Phoenix, then Atlanta. You know what I mean? So I was always in the heat. Always, always, always. Every time I get in that cold, man, I start shivering so bad, I think I'm having a heart attack. So, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness, man. I like to think I would have worked my way down here anyways. You have to kick me out of here. Now, as far as, you know, rewinding it just a little bit, and obviously you get the call at one point where you're going to be a part of WWE. And I want to get to that call just in a second, but I always read that you were going to be the boogeyman or you might play the boogeyman, something like that. What is the, the story about behind the boogeyman? Because when I think boogeyman, I think of Marty Wright playing boogeyman. Absolutely. Well, he was, he was up in OVW. He wasn't progressing as fast as they had hoped that he would. From what I understand, like I said, I know Marty, he's awesome. I got, like I said, I love everybody. That's kind of, it's kind of boring, you know, but like, if you're looking for dirt or whatever, it's, you know, I love everybody. I've, I've always had a great relationship with, with all the boys. So, you know, they, Marty did something off the top rope where he busted his mouth on the, on the, on the ring apron or something like that. And he couldn't go. And they were just about to call him up, you know, for ECW, like, that was getting ready to go right down the pipe. And, you know, they had that character working and stuff. And at the time I had the long blonde, dirty, weird hair and like a crazy weird, you know, Scott started off as like a, a Scott Steiner beer, but it ended up some kind of weird, dirty old hippie looking thing. And, uh, you know, they pulled me aside and they said, Hey, uh, Marty can't go. We need you, man. I see we, we got this character. It's the boogeyman. We think you can do it. Like, 
So we're going to put you up on the road. We're going to have you working, you know, hardcore Holly for, you know, for a couple loops, you know, see how it goes. And, you know, you might, that might be your new, your new gig, brother. And I'm like, bring it. Hell yeah, man. I'm ready. At that time, I was, I felt like I could do anything. And uh, we went up on the road, did some good matches, you know, with, with, uh, with Bob. And it was like, you know, we were all getting ready to go. And there was, I think there was maybe like a month or a month and a half before ECW actually started its run. So I, I did my few, you know, my, my two or three weeks run. And, you know, Marty healed up and he got better. And then they ended up going with Marty instead. And, and thank God they did. Because he killed it. He he lived that character so well. I, I don't think I could have ever lived up to it. The way that he did it, I mean shit. It didn't it didn't matter that he wasn't, you know, Chris Benoit out there. Like his the way he portrayed that character, you believed it. And I, I just I don't think I could have done it as well as him, to be honest. Did I they have you do the whole it. worm? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it was a different, you know, I came in at, at, a, at like a different way. You know what I mean? I kind of came in at a different way, more like a, um, not a stalker, but like, I don't know. It's hard to explain like a creepy, just like a creepy, you know, movie villain or whatever. Like I, I, I didn't even think about how far he took it. And that, that's why, like I said, thank God he, they gave it to him because he owned that character and he made it, he made it in my eyes. I thought he made it iconic, man, especially for the ECW crowd and just the way that that, it just kept going year after year. And uh, yeah, man, I would have never, I would have never even thought to do that. I don't know if that was all him or if that was creative or what, but man, he killed it. Yeah. I would have never even thought about doing the worms and all that stuff. So it was really just like a first step in the direction of that character you know, like basically before uh, before they let him take over, and they, they man, they turned it up. They turned it up to ten, man. I was at about oh, three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he uh, he did quite uh, a number with that character. Very memorable, very creative uh, things with the worms and everything yep. else. But when you get the call originally, who kind of who get? Is it Johnny Ace calling you saying, "Hey, you know, you're getting called to the roster," and then and then when you get put in ECW, is it Johnny Ace? again saying hey you know we're going to do this with you who is it that's giving you that phone call i i got a uh i think it was like two weeks before or something like that down in deep south uh paul Heyman had come down and by this time like everybody knew ecw was about to get going and we all knew they needed workers and like we all knew that they were looking at us hard you know so we really had it cranked up and uh you know i was in good shape then and like i really i thought i could do anything in the ring and, uh, you know, Paul, Paul Heyman came in and, he, you know, we cut some promos for him. And at that time I was very comfortable in my care, in my character, in my, my deep South character. And, uh, Paul pulled me aside and he's like, Hey, listen, man, he's like, I dig what you're doing. He's like, he's like, when this thing gets going, I want you up there. He's like, I think you could be one of the, one of our champions, man. He's like, I see that in you. So I'm all fired up now. And then, uh, you know, I, I was sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I want to say it was like right after one of the classes, Bill Bill pulled me back into the office. You know, we were kind of shooting the shit and he was kind of like laughing. And he was like, okay, man, don't embarrass me. He's like, <laughs> you're up. You know, like, you know, you're up, man. 
show them, show them what we got. So yeah, Bill, Bill told me to go up there and I had the long hair. I had no idea what the character was. Um, I found out when I went up there, like when I got there that I was going to be with Kelly Kelly, whom I had met maybe a month and a half before that she came down and did a little bit of like a little bit of tryout at deep South that she didn't really know much about, you know, about wrestling, wrestling. So they're like, Hey, you're going to be with Kelly. And then like my instant thought is, Oh shit. You know what I mean? Like, cause I've been around long enough to know, like if there's a two new wrestlers, and one of them is some dude, and then one of them is this beautiful, immaculate woman. You know what I mean? Like nobody's looking at the dude. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? They're all they all want to know what the girl's doing. So I was just kind of sitting. I was like, well, shoot, man, that's yeah, okay. I'll show them anyways. And uh, yeah, we also had that worked out too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, it was but awesome, awesome, man. What an experience. I went up there, and Vince was like well, I don't see Kelly Kelly's boyfriend looking like this. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> fired already? Damn, I didn't do my match yet. And they're like, all right, come with me. You know, and this is the first time I'd ever talked to Vince besides like, hello, sir, that kind of crap, like me crapping my pants or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he sits me down in the barber's chair and cuts off all my hair and like cuts my beard off. And I'm just like, uh, what kind of character am I supposed to be here? Like, I thought you guys saw something you liked and you wanted me to run with it. And he's like, no, no, you're just going to be a jealous boyfriend. And that was pretty much the, the end of it, like all of it. So they kind of left it wide open, man. And I just, you know, very confusing, very confusing time for a young man trying to live his childhood dream of being a professional wrestler on television. No, not, not a whole <laughs> lot of guidance, brother. Not a whole lot of guidance. <laughs> Which is weird because you figure, let's say, you know, you're new to TV, she's super green. You figure that they'd kind of hold your hand a little bit and say, hey, this is exactly what we want from you. This is a character. You're a heel, you know, jealous boyfriend. But be a little bit more descriptive, no? Yeah. Yeah, I wish, man. They had her out there doing dances and stuff. And, you know, poor Kelly. I mean, she could dance for, for a normal person. But to be like to look like a pro and, you know, do all that stuff. Like, man, she had to work hard at that. I remember them, you know, I remember them practicing for hours and hours before the shows, like just on the dancing part, let alone the matches and, and any little spots or anything that we had her do it outside. Like it was, you know, they, they, they put her through it, man, <laughs> at the beginning. And, you know, thank God, you know, she, she had a great career, lasted a long time. I, I think she was even a champion at one time. And uh, her wrestling really, really came a long ways from the, from the first few months that we were that we were there you know and it's not like it wasn't her fault you know she just didn't know any better yet just just you know that's just kind of the way it went she was in the right place at the right time and she uh you know she she got a good good opportunity man and she cashed in on it and i'm happy for her do you think that you know you were getting over at this point because you know she's you're covering her up she's pretending to strip and things like that did you feel like you were getting over with the crowd at all i did for like the first three times i did it and then like every other time it was just kind of like like kind of a big fart you know (laughs) i just you know maybe you can help me explain something in what world is a nice clean-cut gentleman trying to stop his 
love his beautiful woman from getting naked in front of a bunch of people and I try to stop her, how does that make me a bad guy? Everybody, they hated me, man. I hmm. thought I was the good guy there. <laughs> I thought I was a baby face, man. Hey, don't all the uh, bad guys always think they're the good guy, though? Isn't that the uh, the essence of them? Well, what do they say? It's uh, right and wrong is all uh, uh, the point of view that you take, I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> It is interesting with you at this point because it's almost like they're like thinking about doing something with you. They might give you a push. You start feuding with CM Punk a bit. It's just, it's kind of like, like you said, there was no really like direction or, or anything, but it seemed like you were on the cusp of something. Did you like feuding with Punk? Did you enjoy wrestling CM Punk? I was so excited to wrestle CM Punk because if you remember right when I first went in, I had a run with a lot of the ECW originals. Like, I had the big run with Sandman. I had the big run with Balls Mahoney. Uh, Shabu and, like, Tommy Dreamer. I love working Tommy. He's the one that, like I said, he's the one that really helped me get hired in the first place. So, I mean, we used to have, me and Tommy had awesome matches, but then that all ended up fizzling out, too. And, you know, with the originals, they knew how to get over. They knew how to put some butts in the seats, you know what I mean? But it's like, when you're just coming out of, you know, deep south, when you're doing 500 squats a day and you're like, you know, some of like some of the toughest guys that ever, ever in the business come down on Saturdays and like teach you how to like work, like really work hard. And then you're in there getting, you know, just smashed around, but with kendo sticks and chairs and, you know, everything under the sun. And like, they're, they're putting in kind of like shitty arenas, like smaller, smaller venues. Like they're trying to recreate the ECW, but I mean, we, we kind of knew that, they set it up to fail, really. I mean, at least in, in a lot of our opinions, that they, they kind of set it up to fail. They were kind of waiting for the ECW guys, like the original guys, to shoot themselves in the foot. And then, like, it'd be like, okay, I told you, Paul, it's not going to work. I told you, Tommy, it won't work. Like, that kind of stuff. So, really, whenever I got a chance to get in there with Punk, I was like, okay, this guy just came out of OV-Dub. You know what I mean? Like, he's a big, you know, he was a big deal, kind of. Like, I didn't really know they'd be seen all that great. You know what I mean? But I knew he was over. Over like Grover, bro. And, you know, we started doing our little thing. And, like, I think the first, of course, the first match was, like, I want to say it was, like, a house show or something in Tucson. And, like, my flight was delayed. And, like, I was on the plane drinking all day. And it's like, dang, man. Like, I ain't going to make it, boys. Like, <laughs> sorry like i can't get there like blah 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 and they rented like a car for me and drove me four hours and it's like uh-oh shit i was drinking on the plane i didn't think i was gonna make it to the show um who am i working oh shit i'm working punk he's straight edge he's gonna hate me i would be sweating booze all over him like you know we went out there and it was like by the time i got there i had changed in the in the damn car and the music was playing when i got out of the car and we're like hey man you're on third i was like shit i ain't gonna make it man all right well you're on six then so, you know, we get there and like, we just kind of look at each other and he's like, what do you want to do, man? I was like, I don't know, man, work my leg or something. I don't know. Like we never worked together. So, you know, we went out there and we did about 15, 20 minutes and, you know, it was a little rough the first match, but everyone after that was money, man. Like we had good chemistry. Everything was, was right on, man. Right on. I love work with Punk. And you know what? He, he, you know, I, I did, I did. I went out and partied after the matches and stuff a lot. And he, you know, he would come along too, but he would never touch nothing. He never judged 
you know, he, he was never like that, you know, which we all kind of thought like, oh, straight edge, like what a gimmick, like uh, he's going to be a, like a stick in the mud or, you know, a wet blanket or whatever. And, and you know what, if, if, if nobody would, if nobody knew anything better, like he just, he's just one of the boys, man. He never judged. He never, you know, he was never, he was never weird like that. He was always, he was always just, he was always so cool to me, man. I love that he's straight edge, but he's kind of hanging out with you guys. Not that he was going to drink or anything, but I, I like that, you know, some camaraderie and hanging out with the boys and maybe even being in the uh, DD, you know, which it could also be a, a good well, thing for the boys. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And, and I mean, a lot of guys don't get it. I mean, if you're in, if you're in it, you know it. You know, it's the biggest dysfunctional, you know, sorority or frat or whatever you want to say. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you're in, man, you're in. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, man, it's one of those things. Just one of those things, man. And that's what I always wanted, too. I always wanted to be in. I always wanted to, I wanted to be able to tell the stories and, you know. Live that, live that kind of life. I was never worried about the money, or I was never worried about nothing like that, man. I just, I just wanted to be a part of that life, man. The fans and stuff. Oh my gosh, I couldn't. I don't think I could have got much more lucky in my life. With uh, ECW, WWE, ECW, and Kelly, Kelly, obviously, you guys together. The punk feud happens, but then the breakup with Kelly, Kelly happens. Do you think, think that, or you think it at the time? Is that a good thing, or is that a bad? thing? for you it's almost like what are they going to do with me now where it's like okay now i can kind of break off on my own i was thinking here i go baby i was like i'm gonna uh this breakup i'm gonna do it right i'm gonna freaking make it violent <laughs> if <laughs> i can uh like i said i actually uh ended up stumbling on a on a recording of it a couple months ago and i was like what all right i mean i'll just watch this real quick worst promo in the world of course by me <laughs> add it to the list brother horrible promo but i made up for it at the end like i usually do with you know i try to make up with it in my work you know what i mean and, and i remember i hit her with that i always called it the whip it everybody called it the knocks out knocks out or whatever i hated that name i always called it the whip it in uh Ever since I started doing it, even Deep South, I called it the Whip It, but they thought it was a drug term or something. They didn't realize on the Indies I was a cowboy, and I used to bring a big old bull whip out there, and I'd crack it all over the place. Like so, whenever I'd use it, like you know, that's what that, that's what it meant. But they thought it was like a drug thing, so they wouldn't let me use it. And uh, I hit it with that thing, and I, I remember I was like, "Oh shit!" And I was like, "Honey, don't jump into this. Don't do anything. Just let me do it. You know, don't try to help." And you'll be fine. <laughs> Just hug me tight, okay? And uh, we did it a couple of times, and man, I dropped her hard. And as soon as I hit that mat, I was like, "Okay, I'm off and running. Here we go. Who's next? Like, now I'm gonna get to show everybody. Like, here we go." But you know, everything that you think is gonna happen, you know, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> so yeah, I thought I was gonna be off and running, brother. I got a pretty good little push there for a minute. Like I had hey. co like Kofi. I had a couple good matches with Kofi and like Evan Bourne and you know a few of those guys. And I got some victories. So I was like, I started building up some momentum. And then they, uh, I remember they pulled me over. Uh, Ricky Steamboat pulled me over to the side one time, and he's like, "You're getting the call, man." And I was like, "What call?" 
Oh, shit. I mean, every time they think it, every time somebody says the call, I think I'm just fired. Well, damn it. What I do now? It was a good <laughs> run, I guess. You know, and then I'm going to Raw. You know, and I was like, oh, shit. Live. I was like, oh, now I'm really cooking. <laughs> so excited, man. You know, and it's because, you know, like if you look back, ECW was was cool for us, you know what I mean, for the for the guys. But it was it was starting to kind of starting to really get really get like um, it was starting to get like Shotgun Saturday Night or you know what I mean. It was like the yeah, the production value wasn't as good and like we didn't have the marketing and on sci-fi and like you know we we didn't have the we didn't have a whole lot of people watching it at the time like the fans like they knew ECW was there but they didn't like really watch it they may have recorded it and flipped through it once or twice but you know they didn't they didn't really care like the original fans that we thought we were going to go after they they saw through it right away which you know which which the fans do you know they like i said they see through they see through bullshit <laughs> they, see through, they see through stuff like that so when i figured when i figured out i was going to raw man i was man i was jacked up i was so excited and they were kind of, when you initially got there, you kind of got a bit of a push, like right away, feuding with Ray Mysterio, who's arguably one of the greatest workers of all time. He's just such a huge, huge star. Was that something like, wow, like, okay, you know, here we go, you know, freaking Ray Mysterio, yep. let's go. I was like, here we go. And he was so accommodating. To me. You know what I mean? Like, if you watch those back, he let me beat the piss out of him. Like, most of the time for the whole freaking match. Like I would just be, man, and he, he was tough and he was so over. Like the people loved him so much. It made it so much easier to, to, to get myself, you know, hated as a heel without really having to do anything except for go out there and work. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't cutting big, big long promos and like, you know, Having those, you know how they get guys out there for ten minutes sometimes, just talk, 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 talk. Man, that really was never my, never really my gig, man. So you know, I, I got to go out there and I worked awesome matches with him, you know. And then we were building up to WrestleMania, and then we were really cooking, man. And I'm, then I can't remember what happened. I don't think it was anything other than just some, somebody saying, uh, "It's WrestleMania, man." We need we need a bigger star in there than Mike Knox, you know. So, but uh, we're gonna put Bradshaw in there against Rey Mysterio instead. And uh, yeah, brother, that was pretty much the end of that. That that really pumped the brakes on on my uh, on my I don't know how to say it. My uh, the, the the high the high point probably in my career. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like obviously before Mania, it definitely felt like they were doing something with you because of No Way Out pay per view, the Elimination Chamber. You're actually yeah. in that match, which is you know, considered the uh, big main event, if you will. So you got to figure they had some sort of idea. Can you believe? You. Can you believe I got in that match? <laughs> if you want to know how I got in that match, I believe I had lost every match for a year or a year and a half. And then all of a sudden, they pulled me aside on a house show saying, hey, we got this big eight-person battle royal over the top, and you're going to win it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, man, awesome. And they're like, and then you're going to be in the elimination chamber on Sunday. And I was just like, whoop, shit my 
pants. You know what I mean? Like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what the <laughs> hell? So, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if somebody got hurt or if it was just, uh, you know, or what it was, or if it was somebody really helping, like trying to help me out and like, give me a look. Cause you know, I got to go in the elimination chamber and I got to kick some ass, you know, I was, nothing stays the same, like whatever plan that you go in there with or whatever plan that you think you have. It's so there's always, there's always 10 other plans and they tell you at the last second, which one you going to do. And for me, it was usually the most embarrassing one. So, you know, I remember we had talked it out and, and, uh, I was supposed to go out closer, closer to the end. Like they were going to give me some time to, to, to get myself over. And then, you know, one of the agents, I won't say who, but it wasn't the first time that he did something like that to me. And, uh, he's like, ah, man, they all know he's going to lose anyways. Like, he ain't going to do it. Like, let's just, you know, let him get a little, little bit of his shit in and, you know, we'll go ahead and take him out after that. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's shit. It makes all the sense in the world. And if I was writing, if I was writing the TV and if I was doing stuff like that, I would have done the same damn thing, you know, cause you gotta, you gotta go where, you know, where the money is. So, kind yeah, of, man, it was <laughs> kind of makes sense, but it's it's definitely deflating for you, though. I mean, of course. Oh my God, took the wind right out of my sails. If you notice, right after that, I started gaining all the weight, and you know, stopped caring. Kind of, like not stopped caring, but you know, stopped caring about the way I looked, and you know, I'd still go out there and work. You know, try to work my ass off, but I was getting heavier and heavier, and you know, uglier and uglier. Which you know, I got a a little piece of advice from somebody like, Hey man, you ain't never going to be cute though. You're an ugly son of a bitch. Mm. You know, embrace mm. it. Just get uglier. Quit eating salads, man. Stop doing that. Quit, you know, quit doing that. Eat some cheeseburgers, drink some beer, you know, like, you know, put a little weight on, get uglier. Gross. You know, I was like, Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll try. I guess I'll try a beer. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I just took, I just took some, some decent advice. And took it so far that they, you know, shit, they had no choice. They had no choice but to let it go, man. I was becoming, I was becoming kind of a liability there at that time. <laughs> what was the the reason that they gave you? I mean, they always call you. I guess Johnny Ace or whoever at that point calls you and says, "Oh, you know, Creator's got nothing for you." Whatever that that cliche is, is that yeah. something they gave you? Or you they, know what? They you sound just like them. <laughs> yeah, just like him. No, he's like, hey man, we don't, you know, no, I can't do his voice. Uh, he's like, hey man, everybody, loves you, man. Like, we all want you to succeed, and that. But like, you know, same thing. You know, creative. Don't have nothing for you. We can't come up with nothing. And uh, you know, when we let you go, we want you to go to, you know, go to Japan and try to get yourself over there and like we'll help you out and we'll try to get you over there. And I was like, all right, man, whatever. And then I kind of, you know, I didn't like, let him have it or anything. I thanked him for everything. I was like, Hey, Johnny, thanks for everything, bro. Like you made my dream come true. Like all that, you know, all the, all the stuff that people worked their whole lives for never accomplished. I got to do it. I got to live it, you know? And, and, you know, thanks. And I appreciate that. You want me to try to come back and, and you too. I was like, but damn, Johnny, I'll have to be gone for, I'd have to be gone for five years for them to forget that I've lost every match for, you know, for the last four, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'd go out there and lose matches in like two minutes, you know, like shit, <laughs> shit brother. Like, you know, everybody, every time my, my music came on, they knew I was going to, you know, I was going to whoop a little bit of ass, but everybody knew I wasn't going to win. So I just, I kind of let them know. And you know what? 
true to his word, he did try to help me out. You know, by that time I was kind of burned out. I was just like, you know, kind of miserable. Like I said, I was kind of heavy and I was, I, my knees were starting to hurt a little bit. My back was kind of hurting and, you know, I was kind of drinking a lot. And, and uh, he had Vader give me a call. He was working over there. He was over there. And he, he gave me a call and he emailed me and he tried to sign me to, to an awesome deal over there. Like looking back on it, you know what I said? I don't really have a whole lot of regrets, but that's one of them. I should have went. You know, the money was the money was something that I mean, later on when I went, I went for a tenth of the price that I would have went for for Vader. You know, and he would have gave me the opportunity to actually get myself over and do the stuff that I could do instead of like bottling me up into like, oh, he's a big guy, punch and kick. You know what I mean? Like, shit, bro, I could do I could do a standing moonsault when I was three hundred and thirty five pounds. But nobody ever saw that shit. <laughs> you know, because and here's why here's how they put it. They're like, listen, man, if you do it and then Rey Mysterio does it, who cares if Rey Mysterio does it? You know what I mean? You're bigger. You got you can do things that he can't, but you can do things that you can't. And I was like, But I can. And they're like, You don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it, man. He is he's got the highest spelling shirt this and the masks that and everybody had you know they were everybody was buying everything they, they that he could put out and uh they were right because i said it too like when i go on the indies and I, I see the big guys doing the stuff and like it kills me and i'm like oh guys i was like uh, you gotta understand where you're at in the card you have to know that like you know if you're working another big guy maybe you can do it but don't out little you know don't out little the little guys because they can't out big you basically you're out there to tell a story you're out there to to get the to get the fans to believe something and you're not just out there to show off and you're not out there you know for yourself you're out there for the for the i hate to say for the team you know what i mean but it's gets that's what it is you know you got you have to you're out there for the good of the show now Jesus, everybody worked so hard. And it's like, it was kind of like back in the day when Triple H gives you the speech, you know, like the brass ring, you know, you got to grab that brass ring and this and that. And like, nobody helped me do it. And like, you guys can too. Like, make them follow you, do this and that. But then you go and do it a couple of times and you screamed at and yelled at and demoted, you know, and then you kind of learn real fast to fall, kind of fall in line. And not do what you're told, but you know, you take a lot of your creativity away. It was kind of weird, man. When I did, when I was at WWE, like you have your agents on you all the time, at least when I was there. Uh, I've heard, I've heard it's changed a lot since then. You know, a lot of my, my buddies, you know, they, I still talk to a lot of them, you know, and uh, you know, they're like, dude, it's so different. It's night and day. It's night and day different, man. Like, and I was like, oh, man, well, that's good for you. And they're like, well, what do you think, man? You want to try? You want to try to come back? And I was like, bro, I might make it to the airplane. But then getting off the airplane, my knees will speed up. And I'll be like, oh, shit. Like, if I take one bad hit or if I take one bad turn, you know, like, uh, you know, because even, even when I when I've made it to TNA or whatever, um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. Anyways, uh, so Johnny gave me that, you know, gave me the speech. And I knew it was coming. 
you know, for a while. I was like, okay, any day now they're going to call me and release me. So I wasn't shocked or surprised or anything. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take this money I made from the video game and I'm, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to get myself, you know, get my head right. I'm going to go do what I want to do. Like, I'm going to go take a couple cruises and take a vacation and like actually enjoy, you know, enjoy my life for a minute. And then, uh, I ended up stretching that out and do like two years. And I didn't work at all. Like I didn't work one match. I wasn't going to, I didn't, I, I was going to go get a regular job. And, uh, that's when, that's when my buddy, you know, the human Cadillac, AKA the freaking Deacon, AKA Festus, AKA Luke Gallows, AKA, I don't know, some other stuff, any of his, the good brother. <laughs> so he, uh, he called me up and I was doing, he's like, hey, I got a match in Guyana. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, dude, I haven't worked. I haven't worked in two years. Like, so what? He's like, you'll work me. It'll be easy. So he gives me this big sell job and I was like, all right, okay, all right, I'll go. I was like, but I can't, I can't be like it used to be. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to be good now. You know what I mean? Like, all that stuff. And we ended up going, just having a, having a blast. And like, he, he kind of ran the show. So it's like, we worked the main event. Like Goldberg was there and all these stars, like all kinds of stars, man. And then it was me and him in the main event, like hilarious, you know, but I mean, it, like the crowd didn't know no better. Like, so you went in there and had a blast and he was like, what do you say, man? Like, and I was like, what do you mean? What do you say? I was like, yeah, that was fun, man. I'm, I'm going home. <laughs> so that's, uh, very, very soon after that is when, when, uh, when I got called from TNA, well, not really called how I got hired. There was hilarious too. After we got back from Guyana, Drew called me up and I love Drew. He's one of my best friends ever. Like we, we were very, very, very close. And uh, he calls me and he's like, Hey bro, I got a, I got a tryout match with TNA. I was like, awesome, dude. I know you're going to kill it. Good luck. He's like, I can't make, I told him you'd go. And I was like, what? I was like, bro, working one match in Guyana is one thing. But like when you're up on, like when you're on the show, like, that's the big stage, man. You got to crank that shit up a little bit. Like you gotta be, you gotta be ready. Otherwise you're going to be embarrassed. And I'm telling him like, dude, I can't, you know, and he kind of guilted me into it. Yeah. And he knew I would, you know, who knew I'd fold probably. So he, he kind of guilted me into it. And I went and did a tryout match with Devon of all people. And, uh, the next night I did a, a tryout match against Frankie Kazarian. And right after that, after the one match in Guyana in two years and two tryout matches, I got hired to do the Aces and Eights thing. <laughs> how, how weird is that, man? People work, people work their whole life to try to get looks. You know what I mean? And then they, it just kind of fell right in my lap, man. And thank God it did. It was the funnest freaking time. Can we talk about Aces and Eights yet? Yes, we're ready. I mean, we're frothing at the mouth. What, what a... <laughs> What a buildup for this story. So now let's get in there. So now they pitch this to you of Aces and Eights, okay? This is a group that I think a lot of people overlook because uh, TNA was uh, shrouded in uh, the usual uh, that was going on with them, whether it was mismanagement or the Hogan-Bischoff regime at that point and some of the creative things going on. It Aces and Eights, for the 
duration of the story was absolutely from the beginning to the end. It was uh, it was riveting in terms of the television. But tell us how it was putting on that mask, put on the cut, and the first impact you made, uh, quote on impact as a member of the Aces and Eights. Oh man! See, they didn't want anybody knowing who we were, not even the boys. They put us in a little trailer in the back. And they had us hiding all day long. They wouldn't, like, if we had to go to the bathroom, we had to make sure nobody was out there. If we wanted food, we had to send somebody to get it. Like, there was just people, like, bringing us food. Like, it was it was so crazy, man. Uh, our, our first little deal is, um, I want to say, me, Luke Gallows. I want to say, like, Sam Shaw was under a mask. He was kind of like, hey, man, we're doing the same, like, but we, we were going to bring in some more people, but we ain't got them yet. So it was kind of like, okay, well, all right, everybody put masks on. So I want to say, like, EY was in there. He was wearing, like, one of Kevin Nash's old, vet, old like, leather vests or something crazy. <laughs> and we went out and, like, we went out and jumped somebody. And, like, Al told us, and he always made sure he's like, hey, man, I'm, um, don't do anything that will discern you from anybody else. Like, no real, like, moves or nothing like that. Just freaking get on them like a pack of dogs. Don't let them breathe. Like stay on them, stay on them, stay on them. Be vicious, vicious, vicious. So, I mean, shit, I took that to as, as far as I could possibly take it to where I'd blow myself up so bad. The masks were awful. It was like two neoprene masks sewn on top of each other. You couldn't breathe out of them. They stunk. Like no matter how much you washed them, they still freaking stunk. And it was like, I remember the first actual match with Aces and Eights that I did was against Austin Aries, who I think he was the champion at the time. And, uh, you know, nobody knew who I was. I was under the mask, couldn't breathe, of course. Like, I'm in there suffocating, and we're doing, you know, a 10, 15-minute, like, hardcore no disqualification match. And, you know, I remember through the freaking, I got him up for Powerbomb, and he threw the powder. You see the powder in my eyes, and I was not ready for it. So it was shoot blindness. Like, I couldn't <laughs> see jack shit. And I couldn't breathe. So I'm, like, starting to panic a little bit. And I was pulling the bottom of my mask up. And you could see my beard kind of popping out. I was, I was like, I got all freaked out, of course. And, uh, man, it was, it was just, it was a blast. I remember he gave, me the, he gave me something in the corner. And, man, he drilled me, you know. And, uh we got into the back and like, we were talking, he's like, man, he's like, I'm nailed you. He's like, you started like laughing under there and you were like, yeah, come on. Bring it. Like, of course that's, I'm all weird like that. So, you know, I get, I get smashed in the side. So I take my, I took my mask off and all the blood's pouring out, like off the side of my head. Like there was a big old chunk, like taken out of my ears. So like a, maybe like an inch, maybe about an inch of my ear was just kind of like hanging off on the side and like apologize and stuff. I'm like, Dude. I, was like, I mean, he, I'm sure he didn't know like how we were trained and all that crap, you know what I mean? So it was like, well, you know, and whatever. And I, I kind of reached over and I yanked the, I yanked the, the piece of ear off and I threw it into the garbage and I was just like, don't worry about nothing, bro. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, like, I'm laughing and they, they're stitching me up and like, you know, so we're doing that stuff, man. Like every person that they brought in to, to, to do the aces and eights, it was like, they were all like all my friends, man. They, they were all guys I hung out with already. They were all guys that, you know, that we kind of come up together or if we hadn't formed an immediate bond, 
Like, it, it was crazy, man. Like, oh, all we ever... I don't even know how to explain it, bro. I get so excited about it. It was the funnest damn time of my career, man. Because remember when I told you, like, how big of a, like a mark I was when I was a kid, like younger? My whole room, man, my whole bedroom was covered from wall to wall with Hulk Hogan posters and Sting posters. And you know what I mean? And, like, the real legends, like the old school guys, you know what I mean, that were... You know, they were my heroes. I said I had all the shirts. I said the prayers and I did the training and the vitamins and all that stuff. And you know what? We got to go out there and beat the shit out of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> and we got to beat up Sting. And we got to beat up the Hardys. You know what I mean? And we got to beat up Kurt Angle. And we got to beat up like the top guys in the business. Man, we put a car battery on a base's nipples and threw water <laughs> on them. Like, it was freaking great, man. And we were working with... We were working like hand in hand with Bischoff and it was just, man, it was surreal. It was surreal, man. Every time we go out there, like, oh shit, I was always looking for Sting or I was always looking for Hogan or I was, oh man. And every time I was just like, oh, please hit me. Please hit me with this move. Please hit me with that move. Please do something like, <laughs> I was just like a kid in a candy store. And then we were in, you know, we were in the back and we were in the little clubhouse and, you know, we had the girls around and it was like, you know, we were all, we had beers and we were drinking beers and it's like, you know, we were just hanging out, man. It was just like, shit. It was just like the way I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> all the stuff that it looked like it was, all the stuff that it looked like it was on TV, it was like ten times funner than that. Because when the cameras come on, like you got to be serious and you kind of got to act mean and all that crap, man. It was just, you know, hanging out with like Bubba and Devon and like and, and D'Lo and all these guys that I had have history with. You know what I mean? It was just, God bless, man. It was so fun. I loved it. I loved it. Ken Anderson, I, I still talk to Ken almost every day. I still talk to Gallows, you know, shit, a couple, time, couple times a month. I, I just, I love those guys, man. Devon would drive us around. Like, he would drive me around, and he'd help, like, he'd pay for the car. He wouldn't let me pay for nothing. Like, and these guys, were, they were stand-up, stand-up dudes, man. And I had a blast. They taught they taught me a lot, even though I was coming kind of coming to the end of it, and I, I kind of knew I was too. But ah, shit, man, what a blast! What a blast! Uh, thank TNA for that. That is one thing I will thank them for. And that's what I find to be the funny thing about it, is that you know people still kind of look back and they, they rip parts of TNA, but that was the I think the highlight of what they did in the last you know seven years of their their company is that. That Aces and Ace storyline was it so was compelling. Hot. But let me ask you this, though. So, it, obviously, people say the Impact Zone was a canned environment, and the television with the commentary, obviously, they built the anticipation when you guys had come through the, the side door, and they would build that, you know, oh, my God, something bad's about to happen. But did the people inside that Impact Zone, did they kind of feel the vibe as well? Because it felt like it was controlled chaos whenever you guys hit the ring. You know, I, uh, at least for the beginning, at least for the beginning, you know what I mean? Like they, they knew something kind of special was going on. You know, I was like, Ooh, shit. Like, this is kind of cool. Like, what the hell are these guys doing? There's so many of them. We don't know who any of them are. Like it could be any, like the suspense was just, it was great. You know, and there was always like, everybody was always guessing who it was and, 
you know, I mean, I thought at the beginning, even though that is kind of how it was, you know, very controlled environment. And, and some of those people in there, you know, they were in there watching wrestling to get out of the rain. You know, they weren't really fans, like a, some of them, but a lot of them were diehard loyals. And the only bad thing about having diehard loyals in for every show is that you got to keep turning it up. They've seen it all already. You know, they they were probably the same people that saw like Elix Skipper, Hurricane Rana, the guy off the cage and walk, you know, when he walked the cage and did that. Yeah. You know, I mean, they saw AJ doing the most incredible things ever, which, man, I forgot we got to work with AJ. <laughs> I mean, these guys, you know, it's just so cool, man. You know, and it was the same fans that had seen all that stuff. And then they see, like, they see people killing themselves week after week after week. So it's like, if, if you're in there just kind of doing a, you know, doing your whatever match, like, you know, hey, man, you got seven minutes and, you know. You know, don't do too much, you know, like, you know, give them a couple pops and work, you know, you know, work your character and do this and that. But, you know, that's the only bad thing about being in an environment like that. Like, shit, they want you to kill each other every single match, man. It's just not humanly possible. You know, everything, oh, we want tables, we want fire, we want that, we want somebody's head. Like, it's freaking crazy. <laughs> you know, you give the, you start, and then you start kind of, I mean, I never did, but you know, people start kind of catering to the, to the crowd. And then all of a sudden, like what you've been trained to do, what your story that you're trying to tell don't mean nothing. You know what I mean? Like you get off of what you're trying to do to, to try to let, let the crowd tell you how to do your job basically. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, so it was, it was that kind of environment, but it brought out like, you know, it brought out the best in some people and it, you know, it brought out the worst in other people. You know, some people kind of coasted through it and other people like really took it as a challenge and they put the pedal to the metal and floored it. So what did you think about the taking off of the masses? Obviously I'm sure that was a part of the plan, but I think when you guys kept the masks on, it, it added more of a dimension of mystery you didn't know who was there and then obviously we'd have to learn who you were at some point yeah. but did you think that taking the mask off was a good part of the story or maybe they could have milked it a little bit longer i wish they would have milked it a little bit longer um you know when it comes to like the writing and all that kind of stuff like after the first you know couple months or whatever and like when we kind of started rolling they started making mistakes and then like we kind of turned into not i wouldn't say a joke but like kind of like went out there and just got beat up everywhere um you know when that took the masks off i was like okay that's cool i kind of was i was kind of hoping to keep it for a little bit while like a little while longer uh maybe get some maybe get some titles or something like that like to where all of a sudden now we have a little bit of like actual validity like we have like you need to pay attention to these guys because they got our they got our shit you know what i mean like they got our belts they have everything and now like maybe then you unmask them. So, you know, we, I remember I never, uh, I never really kept anything like memento wise, like in my career, like I kind of, like when I went to Japan, I kind of sold everything off. Like I sold most of my gear off, like from the, from WWE and I did all that kind of stuff because I just didn't really, I figured I had to, you know, I had the stories. I don't need the crap in my garage or, you know what I mean? Or up on the wall. That's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not really like that, you know? <laughs> so, but one thing I did want to do, cause I wore that damn mask for a year, sweated in it. Oh my God. It smelled so bad. Uh, one of our, one of our best friends, uh, you know, they're just you know, they're not wrestlers or nothing like that, but they were over and they saw me work and they were trying to make me laugh. And they, but she, she 
grabbed the mask and she put it on her face and she almost threw up. It was smelled so bad. And she yanked it off. She was like huffing and puffing and I was just laughing at her. And I was like, yeah, that's what I live through every single match. Okay, honey. So be a little nicer to me. <laughs> and uh, I remember we were in this cage and, you know, I was like, okay, tonight, tonight, they're taking that mask off. I was like, I am keeping this mask forever. <laughs> I was like, I made sure I had the coolest. I was like, I made sure I had the coolest looking mask. I had it set to where like it fit my head perfectly. It was like, I was so excited about keeping that mask. And the first damn thing, Kurt Angle reaches over, yanks the mask off, crowd goes, oh, Mike Knox, ooh. And in one fail swoop, Kurt Angle took the mask and threw it into the damn crowd. And I just looked up at him, and I was so mad. I wanted to freaking rip his balls off. I was so at him. Oh, there's a lucky souvenir for some fan out there. Like, Hey, if you're listening, fan, bring it back. If the fan's listening right now, let's get it back to Mike Knox. (laughs) Are you kidding? That thing's probably well in the toxic waste dump by now. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's somebody's dog is torn apart. (laughs) Nobody knew that it held so much, so much damn, uh, so many feelings in my heart. And then I thought, and then I thought I was going to keep the cut. I I was like, okay. You know what, sport? I'm keeping this vest. I don't care if I have to run out of here with it. Like, <laughs> nope. They buried it in the back lot, a.k.a. sold it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> so I still don't have any awesome mementos for my career, except for my menagerie hat. Now, how about the fact, so you talk about being a fan of Hogan and having the posters on your wall, and he was a part of not just, like, being an on-air character, but also, you know, him and and Bischoff having a a role in the creative. You know, what's it like to kind of see the creative process of the Hulkster emotion? Was it something that you just quietly observe and, uh, as a fan, peacefully, uh, you know, take it all in? Or is is Hulk Hogan the kind of guy you can give, uh, like, hey, you know, maybe I think that this little wrinkle should be thrown in, or you just let Hulk Hogan do his thing? Well, we let him do his thing, and we would we would we would suggest things that we could do. But at that time, you know, like his, his wheels were his wheels were pretty bad, so it was pretty limited what we you know what we could really do with him. And at the same time, he was so much like he was so much cooler than I thought. Like than I thought he was going to be. Like with all that stuff, like he wanted to talk with you. He wanted to hang out with you. You know what I mean? Like he, whenever we were doing stuff, he's like, Hey man, let me do this brother. And like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, we're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that, man. You're going to hurt yourself. Like, let us, you know, let us help you. you know, let us get you through this. We can get, you know, we're pros, you know, we can, we can make it work no matter what. So it's like, you know, we, you know, action and we'd start kicking the crap out of them and we're pummeling them and pummeling them. And then like, you know, cut, and we kind of help them down and then, action and then we beat the crap out of him on the ground and then as soon as uh, you know we're all helping him up like shit man he's the king he's, he made professional wrestling if it wasn't for him who knows man it might maybe nobody would have a job so like i said man he's he, he was just so cool man he was so much nicer to me and to my friends and like to all of us than, than he needed to be because he's hulk hogan you know you don't expect you don't expect him to be normal you expect him to be this larger than life character you know and he's taking out to dinner and paying for everything like you know getting drinks and you know telling you hilarious stories and 
you know, inviting you on the boat and telling you to come over to his house. It's like, geez, I always knew you were going to be like this. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man. He was always way cooler. Way, way cooler. Way cooler than he needed to be to us, man. But we sucked it up and we, we drank it in like nobody's business, bro. <laughs> so you look. let's look at the members here. So you, obviously you had yourself. You had Bubba and Devon, you had Luke Gallows, you had Wes Briscoe, you had Garrett Bischoff, you had Mr. Anderson. Yep. And then I got to yeah. just, I'm not going to throw him under the bus here, but I always thought that the funny one was D'Lo. <laughs> and Taz, too. But I thought that D'Lo was the Taz. funny one. And Taz. Hey, man. I I don't remember. I think that D'Lo was like, he was in there for a long time, and he was one of the agents, too, you know what I mean? So he kept it, he kept it going good. Like... You might you might you might laugh about it or whatever, but man, people forget that, that MF can work. You know, like I, I worked him a lot of times like in Europe and uh when I was still with WWE, you know what I mean? Like so we had a little bit of a history. And uh you know what, he, he's just he's got a he's got a brilliant mind for the business. And uh, you know, he was I don't know if maybe they put him with us at the beginning. To like watch and make sure that we didn't fuck everything up, like you know, make sure we didn't ruin everything. But uh, man, yeah, it was a blast, man. I'm so glad that he's been there with us. You know, I thought he kind of, I don't, I can't remember exactly what happened, but they ended up giving him a kind of a raw deal and shuffling him out the door for some reason. But uh, yeah, man, it was uh, I was, every single one in there. The only, the only one that, the only one that was that was. A little strange was Taz, I thought. You know, I mean, everybody else I thought fit. Like, if they would have let Taz, like, get in there and, like, do some stuff. You know? If they would have let him, like, hit that chokehold that he I can't, the Katamaja, I can't say it like everybody else. You know what I mean? If they let him get in there and hit that choke on somebody, or they, you know, they let him, you know, even just shove shove him into Baba and have Baba hit him with something big or, like, you know, something cool like that, or even, or even just on the commentary, be, like, super heel like super hill commentary, but it was kind of like they gave him the best, you know what I mean? He was in the, he was in the eighth and he was doing his thing. And then that was kind of like all you heard from it. Like they never really let him get in there and heal it up with us, which would have been another awesome, you know, dream moment for me too. Cause back in ECW, like he was the freaking man, man. Like, <laughs> like I said, you get, you, you go through all this time and people forget you know, when, when Taz was in ECW, he was a freaking badass, man. And when he came to WWE, he was a freaking badass there, too. And, uh, you know, he got injured, so he had to stop. But, man, pe- people uh, quickly forget how how good Taz was or how good D-Lo was. They, uh, you know, just because you get old, you know, if you get older, it's uh, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't take away from, from what you've done. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And D'Lo fit very well with the story because it was an agent on the inside bringing him in. I just thought it was funny that he yeah. didn't. The way he was like, you know, I don't know, just the way they had him dressed and stuff. It just he didn't he didn't look like he was joining a <laughs> biker club. That's uh, that's kind of what I meant. And Taz is the funny thing too. I actually feel like Taz's reveal was one of the benchmark moments because of the chaos that was caused with the wedding. And that was one I think when it impacts oh, yeah. best ever endings to a show that they ever had. That that wedding was insane. Well, everybody loves a wedding, brother. You know, 
Love, love, love was in the air that day. <laughs> but then, obviously, I mean, look, and then, and then with all this great stuff, I mean, it's got to come to an end. And, and whether or not they they dragged it out, in some people's opinion, too far, or I feel like they didn't do enough with it and then ended it kind of abruptly. What's your take on the uh, the closing days of the Aces and Eights? Yeah, brother. You know, like selfishly, of course, I, I would have loved to do it forever. You know, because like I said, I, I never had had more fun with the, with with a with group of guys like that. You know what I mean? Like in the ring, and they were like I said, they were all like like some of my best friends. Like I still talk to Wes all the time. I still I still see Garrett, you know, once or twice a week. Like you know, we all kind of live around each other out here in in, in the wrestling retirement home. You know, all of us are kind of out here. You know, and it's ah man. It was uh, it was the best man. So selfishly, I would have loved for it to keep going, especially since I'd had the I got the mask taken off. They gave me a little mic time. You know what I mean? Like they kind of started letting me get over a little bit with with uh, with Bubba, you know, and Ken and all that kind of stuff. Like they they were starting to give me a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, but you know, all, all good things all good things must come to an end. And whenever they thought it was time, like they got a, you know, they got some new writers in and they weren't really feeling it anymore. And they figured that we'd, you know, we'd run our course and unless, you know, cause like we'd sit there and kick out all these people and like, you know, Gallows was in, Gallows was in Japan kicking ass and taking names. And we started kind of losing a few people and it was just, you know, it was, it was that time, you know, cause we were all going to start asking for more money. So they were like, well, shoot, man, like we had this real hot angle and now everybody's ready to get a, you know, ready to get their, get their big checks, you know, time to cash in. So, I mean, I, I don't know if maybe if they got scared and they're like, shoot, man, we can't pay all these guys what, what they deserve. Like, you know, shoot, we better end this thing quick. Like before, cause I mean, at that time there was a lot of that going around, you know, like we heard rumblings you know, of, of camera guys not getting paid. And like, we, we were afraid that they were going to shut the whole place down. So, I mean, when they ended it, when they ended that, the aces and eights, it was, I don't know, it was probably the right time, you know, cause we, we were, we were, we were getting a lot of screen time. We were getting a lot of air time and the ratings were starting to go down a little bit more and a little bit more. Like people were getting kind of tired of it, I think. So yeah, you know, they got to know when to pull the plug. That's above my pay grade. I would, like I said, selfishly, I wish we could have run it for a little bit longer, but professionally and business-wise, it was probably the right call. It is funny that we've interviewed Wes and Garrett and Ken Anderson and D'Lo and obviously yourself, and everybody has had nothing but positive things to say about the Aces and Eights, and it was so much fun, and they really enjoyed it. So it. it interesting you know obviously you probably minus the name nux probably like you know enjoyed it obviously but you know it's mostly a (laughs) freaking name man is they i hated that name more than anything i just told them i was like hey man i think i own my name let's just use my name and if they say something to change it you know if wwe says if they want to come after me Little old me, little old poor Mike Knox for trying to, you know, trying to better himself and, you know, do, do, do something good. Then let him come and tell me, 
And then once they do, we'll come up with something else. And if you remember, I want to say when they took the, the mask off me on TV, they said Mike Knox a couple of times. And then they didn't realize if that I was the trademark or, or something weird. And they're like, listen, we got to come up with another name for you. And I was like, give me five minutes and I'll come up with 20 different names. <laughs> something easy. You know what I mean? Like something, you know, something that's close, something that's whatever, like anything, you know, I'll come up with 20 different names. Just give me a minute. So I went and came up with all these different ones. Like, oh, I couldn't believe like, like how easy it is to come up with biker names. And I was just, I, I was sitting there and I gave him a bunch of names and they're like, okay, man, that's awesome. You know, like, and then we went out on TV. I didn't even know that's what they were going to call me. So whatever, man, it sucked. But <laughs> I was sitting, I was like, really guys, that's the best you could come up with. Nux. I don't even <laughs> use brass Nux. Well, shit, man. <laughs> At least give me some, like a, a necklace with some brass knuckles on it or something. Don't make me look like a dork. <laughs> Nux. What a fart name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, man. But whatever, man. <laughs> we're one just all in this crazy they... world, man, to, to make some stories, dude. That, that's oh, yeah. what we're in here for. One thing they did well, they did this video package kind of explaining the, the aces and eights from like A to Z. I don't know if you remember that but it was a really good video package and it was like every unmasking they had you know every storyline so it, that was something kind of they did that they tied everything together as far as ace and eights that i was kind of impressed with i didn't even i don't even think i ever saw that bro it's good stuff <laughs> surprising I'm, I'm so i'm such a i'm i'm such an old fart you know what i mean like we would we go and we do our matches or whatever we'd record all the shows and then I wouldn't even freaking watch them back. When they were on TV, I'd have to have people tell me, like, oh, man, they cut away from this. Or, hey, man, they did that. Or, Where were you, what were you doing there? I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I was there. So I was doing something. <laughs> like a lot of the times, you know, because you sit there and, you, you know, you can watch it back that night and see all your boys doing what they need to do. But I always say, well, why do I need to watch that back, man? I lived it. I know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the menagerie when they gave you kind of that carnival gimmick? Was that your idea, their idea? What did you think of it? Uh, okay. Here's <laughs> what happened there. Um, after I got my devastating pile driver on the floor by Ken Anderson to take me out of the aces and eights, I think it only had two members left by that time. They said, hey, you're going to have to, you know, hang out at the, at the house for a little bit. We got another character. He's like, how would you like to be a baby face? And I was like, would I ever? I was like, I've been wanting to be a baby face my whole career. I was like, finally, I'm going to get to like, go with the, like into the fans the way I want to. And like, you know, smile and kind of be myself. And like, you know, cause it's, it's kind of, you know, you get to be yourself a little bit, you know, it's, I always like to be, cool with the fans i love it so they're like we got this awesome character for you it's gonna be great it's gonna be a duck dynasty character you know you're gonna be an old kind of like a like a hick kind of guy like you're hunting all the time and you're in camo so grow the beard out like a little bit longer and he's like we're gonna we're gonna get a girl for you like a like your wife or whatever and uh i remember i jumped right in i was like that's an awesome idea and i think i know who to use 
for the girl. Like, like you can't get me like this, you know, like a Kelly Kelly type or, you know, whatever. Like she's gotta be rowdy. You know what I mean? Like she has to be a Southern girl with a heavy draw and a big accent. You know what I mean? And like, you gotta believe that if you went down to South Carolina in the swamps or whatever, you would run into her. You know what I mean? So we came up, like I pitched <laughs> Luke Gallo's wife actually <laughs> at the time, like we pitched it for, for Amber to be in there. And I thought that that was the plan for the whole time I sat home, you know, I had the gear made. I had like, I'd grown my beard out to like crazy proportions again. And, uh, you know, I just kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And I got this, I finally get the call. Hey, we're going to fly you up to Nashville and we're going to film some, some vignettes for you. We're going to get you on TV here in the next, you know, couple, two, three weeks. And I was like, awesome. And they're like, all right, well, Christy Hemme is going to call you tomorrow or I mean in a couple hours and kind of tell you about this character. I was like, okay, cool, man. And then like we hung up and I was like the whole time I just figured it was Duck Dynasty style because the Duck Dynasty guys were hot at the time, like number one show or whatever. And uh, I get the call and they're like, have you ever watched Carnival? And I was like, <laughs> really? I was like, do you think I would watch Carnival? No, I have not watched Carnival. What is it? Where is it? And they're like, well, we're going to kind of base your new character off of this. I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, like the circus and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> I was like, what is this stupid show again I have to watch? And they told me, so I, I binge watched, you know, the whole show. And I, I call them right back. I'm, I'm like, what in the shit is this? Like, what, char what character? Like, what is the character here? I was like, there's no, there's no real, like, tough guy character. There's no, you know, babyface character or heel. It's just all so great. And they're like, well, you know, we want to do this thing where you're like, you, you have this family circus and you go back and you meet your, your, your girlfriend, you went to high school prom. Do you have any old, like, pictures or anything like that? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure my mom, I'm sure my mommy has some pictures that she could send from high school. So, you know, I call mom up and she's like, oh, of course I do. So she sends me a bunch of old pictures with like my old girlfriends and stuff. Some little pimply face kid. And uh, I fly up to, I fly up to Nashville and then they fly me into like a, into like a basement of like this, like, I don't know what the heck it was, man. But apparently there really was a flood there and it had destroyed a lot of the stuff like in the, in the town or whatever. So it was like a bunch of video games and stuff like that. So they brought us down this cold like thing. And uh, right there is where I met, uh, Tanea for the first time, uh, rebel. So, you know, we, we met and we were supposed to do all this, like, you know, all the, like we did a bunch of stuff, like all day, we filmed a bunch, bunch of stuff, did a bunch of pictures and like, we were supposed to do a thing. Like they were like, Oh, you know, maybe at the end, like the, like her ex-boyfriend comes up and you, you know, you beat him up a little bit, like he's treating her bad or whatever. And you, you know, baby face it up and like, whatever. So we filmed like all this cool stuff and they didn't use any of it. Of course. They're just like, Oh, Hey, well, we use this clip. We use that clip. Like, Hey, we want to use this girl rebel because she's a fire dancer. And I was like, a fire dancer. That's pretty cool. They're like, yeah, she spins all the stuff around, and, you know, whatever. So we get the thing and like we do the, the promos and stuff and she kind of spins the, you know, she spins the fire around and I make like some dumb face like, Ooh, whatever. And then, uh, so we do all this stuff and we get to TV. So now it's time to go. Like I'm having my first match. It's kind of circusy, but it's just really me. And, and at that time, Tanea. Uh, so 
she starts spinning her fire around in the back and she's getting ready. And here comes the, here comes the police, not the police, but the safety marshals or whatever. And they're like, Oh no, you can't do that. Same reason the little, they wouldn't let the aces and eights ride their own motorcycles through the, you know, through the thing insurance purposes or something. So they ended up, they're like, Hey, you can't use that, but you can use this, which was like, it was like a weird, like sparkly thing that they sell at the rides you know what i mean so it was like something that like 20 people in the crowd had so she's like trying to do that and make it look cool and it just ended up kind of looking like cheesy high school crappy you know what i mean and then they're like hey man we're gonna bring you know i was like what am i supposed to wear here like I, all my gear i had made was for this duck dynasty thing like, don't worry we're gonna you know talk to christy and we'll figure it out so i talked to her and she's like i was like what the hell am i supposed to do here what am i wearing and like, well, just kind of dressed like you were in the aces and eights, you know, with jeans and like the you know tank top and just kind of tough and this and that. I was like, okay, cool, I'll do that. So we did the first match. I want to say it was against Frankie Kazarian again. And uh, you know, we did a little match, and I went over on him. And I was wearing like regular like street looking clothes. It looked kind of crappy. Like I was watching it back. I was like, ooh, shoot, man, that ain't no good. And uh, I got to the back, and they were like, nah, man, what the hell are you doing? You got to wear this and that and blah blah blah. So the next day, like they had run all over the place and got all this stuff. And Jolene was trying to make everything nice for me. And, you know, we were just like week after week, it would just get a little bit more and a little bit more, more sequins, more of this, a little more color. And, you know, so, I mean, I had a good time, man. They brought in, they, they brought in uh, Rob to, to be my strong man. They had a great idea. You know, they, they had a good idea. It was like, hey, man, we'll have the big strong man. We've been in bars and doing like these incredible feats of strength and we'll have a, a really nutty clown and, you know, you'll have Tanea doing her splits and, you know, being really cool. And then you just kind of, you know, just be a baby face and have a good time, you know, and enjoy everything. And I was like, well, I sure can do that. And they're like, we're going to put you on every show at the beginning and we're going to have you, you know, we'll have you put on like a little circus where everybody can kind of do their perform and you can go, you know, press the flesh with all the people and, you know, let them all know that, you you know, how you are and who you are. You know, everybody loves you. So you, you just let them all know. So I'm like, all right, man, I can do it. You just point and shoot me in the right direction. So, I mean, none of that ever happened. So we, we did like two or three matches and they had this great idea, this great TNA idea to leave the music playing during our matches at the beginning. And now that's all fine and good when you think back new jack or whatever like they played they played his music but he was kicking ass the whole time like you know it was fast to the point like it rarely ever got through the whole song they put the song on for me and then they'd have us do like a 12 minute match or something to where i'm laying in the middle of the ring like taking heat and getting beat up to my own song like come <laughs> on guys <laughs> you guys didn't think that one through like uh if you want to do the song, that's cool. I'm all for that, but we got to be smart about this and let's not, you know, turn it into a complete joke just yet. But man, like they, they were trying, like they gave us some stilt guys to run with us. And one of the stilt guys was late. I want to say it was in Dallas and, uh, for one of the pay-per-views or something like that. And one of the damn stilt guys was late and he was trying to run and get up on the stage and he tripped and fell and hurt himself real bad. And, that was the end of that. And then, you know, I mean, like the, me and Tanea's thing didn't really, it wasn't clicking as much as it, you know, as it could have given the right story and the right writing. And then, you know, crazy Steve, like we had awesome ideas, like how to be, you know, 
crazy, creepy clowns. And I was like, man, maybe they should have let us be heels first. And then when we came back and like we turned into babies a little bit later, at least they'd know like where we come from a little bit. But, you know, that's not what they had in mind. So, so yeah, none of it, nothing really came to fruition. And then I was kind of pitching an idea. I was like, listen, hey, Steve, what do you think about this, man? Uh, well, maybe I'll put a little paint on my face and I'll start getting real wacky and dark and crazy too. And he's like, ah, oh, dude, I don't think you need to. He's like, people know you and like, you know, you're doing good. And like, you're, you're the one that's in the ring most of the time. Like, and I was like, all right, man, whatever. And that I was going through a contract negotiation with, with TNA at the, at the same time as all this was happening. And I ended up signing a, a contract and I was like, hey, maybe like a year before that or something like that. Like right when, right when uh, Aces and Aces was kind of going under, I signed a contract. I was like, hey, I'll sign this contract for a year. And, uh, It'll, it's you know crappy money you know whatever i don't want to get into numbers but like it was less than i thought i was you know should have got and i was like i'll do this for a year and i'll eat it, i'll eat it for a year but then we're going to renegotiate this contract after i show you you know that i'm worth more than this so you know it was all cool and then we re- renegotiated the contract and i got the money i wanted you know real estate brother negotiating <laughs> negotiating one-on-one <laughs> and uh you know i got the i got the money that i wanted exactly you know and i was like awesome let's run this thing man and uh right about that time i want to say they went over from what something like to destination america mm-hmm. or from destination yep. america to, to pop to the pop network or something weird and i don't know who like whose call it was but they looked over the books now like oh wait a minute uh this the menagerie thing we can get all three of these other guys, plus these other couple guys for the same price that we're getting for, for Noxie here, you know, it just doesn't make sense to, you know, have this one guy making the same amount as the whole, like as the whole. So let's go ahead and put him to the side for a minute and see if these guys can kind of get over on their own a little. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what happened. And then I sat home until my contract ran out. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a, it's a, it's crazy business, bro. You know, it's that be careful what you wish for kind of stuff. TNA definitely sometimes like the aces and eights was cool. And like you said, they kind of missed the boat a little bit on some of the things on it and, and it maybe ended it too quick or pulled the mass up too quick. And then the menagerie, they kind of just missed the ball totally. They probably should have made you guys heels. And you know, you mentioned the music thing. So yeah, yeah TNA sometimes, uh, not the best as far as uh, well, some of those creative you know, ideas. I think it's like, you know, you, they keep, they keep bringing in new guys, like new writers, new head guy, like new head youth creatives, new this, new that. Like I was, I was only there for, I think I was only there for three or four years, maybe three or four years, maybe at the most. And even in just the time that I was there, they had brought in, I think three or four new creative head of creative head of, head of new writing here, you know, this and that. And it's like, once a new guy comes in with his ideas, the old ideas aren't his ideas. So he thinks the crap, you know what I mean? So they're, they're the back burner. You can just kind of let them roll until they, until they flicker out and let's make room for my new big bright ideas. That's going to save the company, you know, like, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's just mismanaged. I thought a little bit, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the boys when I was there, man, they they were all unhappy, and you can see exactly what happened. They all are 
kicking major league ass now at WWE. So, so true. And as we start to wind it down here, you know, you mentioned going to Japan and stuff, and we didn't even talk about UPW really when you were there and just all this different independent promotions you were at. But when you kind of sum up your career, whether it's WB, TNA, wherever, do you have some favorite matches that you go back and you look upon more fondly than others? Yeah, I do, man. I got to, uh, I got to do a couple of matches. Of course, Rey Mysterio. You know what I mean? Of course. He was just, he was so over, man. It was, it just made everything so easy and smooth. And, you know, when I first, I, I was, I was trying to get that crossbody in for years, for years. I was trying to, to just hit that one move. I was like, listen, let me hit the crossbody. And they're like, a crossbody? That's a baby face move. I was like, not the way I do it. I was like, just let me do it. And like, nobody would, everybody just shot it down, shot it down, shot it down. So we were wrestling with uh, Mysterio and I was like, oh, hey, blah, 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 blah. Give me a couple gimmicks and then just come running at me and I'll just hit you with something, you know? He was like a shoulder block or something, knowing all along I was going to destroy him with this thing. I was like, okay, he'll he'll be cool with it. He'll be cool with it. (laughs) He won't get mad. So, you know, I kill him with it all of a sudden. And then all of a sudden the next week I'm on the, I'm on the freaking, uh, the SmackDown the entrance at the end, like hitting them with it. And everybody loves it. Wow. Hit it every match, hit it, this and that. I was like, okay. And then they're like, well, don't hit it unless it, that should be your finish. And I was like, okay, well I haven't won in five years. So maybe just let me hit it. Okay, bud. <laughs> so, you know, so of course with Ray, man, he was, he was freaking so good. So good, man. And I was like being base too. So I like, man, all the cool, like flip stuff. Oh, I loved it. Um, at, at TNA, we did a match where, it was a cage match, I want to say, and I, it was Sting. Sting hit me with the the the, the drop, the Sting drop or whatever, and, and Eric Young came off the top of the cage or the elbow. That was pretty dang cool. I wrestled um, when I was in Japan. It was for WWE, but it was still Japan, and this is one of one of my biggest biggest memories ever. Um, remember that Survivor Series match when I lost like in 12 seconds when Shawn Michaels kicked me in the mouth and he couldn't mm-hmm. remember who I was. Yeah, we were there for that actually. That? We were there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. really, yeah, that really pissed me off. You know, really pissed me off because like he was one of my heroes, Shawn Michaels. Like I wanted to work like him when I was growing up. I wanted to bump like him. I wanted to move and like, you know, I wanted to be cool like that guy. And uh, you know, I thought I'd made it, and he didn't remember who I was or whatever. So I was like, okay. You know, we'll see. I'm going to run into you again. I'm sure I will. So we're in Japan or whatever, and all of a sudden I look at the sheet, and it was me and I think it was me and Kane against Rey Mysterio and Shawn Michaels. And we could walk in the back, you know, and here he is, and he sees, like, you know, he sees who it is. And he's like, oh, you better lace him up tight tonight. And I was like, no, nah, motherfucker, you better lace him up tight because <laughs> you're going to remember who the shit I am after this. I'm going to knock the crap out of you. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, like we, you know, we, we ended up hashing it out and we went out and had a match and it was freaking awesome. It was everything I thought that the, they lit the, um, that the Survivor Series was going to be, you know, we, I took the, I took the whole comeback and you know what I mean? And like, he gave up a little bit for me. So I got to put a little heat on him and it was, it meant so much to me just, just doing that little thing. And it was just a house show. And then on the Indies, 
My favorite match was against my old tag team partner. His name was Derek Nykirk. I talked about him briefly. Uh, we did a match. I want to say I just saw like an Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit match where they went two out of three falls, like no disqualification, no talent out. And then like finally they, they finished the match or whatever. So me and me and Nykirk, we came up with this plan. We had a match in like Globe, Arizona, like for a casino or something. And we didn't tell them like, really, hey, we want to do like an hour. And we want to kind of do like a like a little bit of a hardcore match and like make it cool, and like uh, like my trainer's like no no man that ain't cool like you know, this is our first show here he's like let's not get too crazy like let's it's kind of for the kids and whatever so we were like screw it we're doing it anyways screw it bro so we went out there we wrestled over an hour we did um, we had a few people like in it like we did the big match or whatever I think I was the champion at the time and I. I kicked him in the balls or whatever and tried to get disqualified. And then the commissioner came out, we smartened the commissioner up. He's like, no way, this isn't going to end like that. We're restarting this, no disqualifications. So we wrestled like 35 more minutes. And then all of a sudden, you know, something happened and I, I left the building and then he, they drug me back out. And this whole time, like once we got to about 45, 50 minutes in, it was freezing cold. We were both, we were both bleeding all over the place. I remember when I was, when I was, I was getting my color or whatever, I was underneath this ladder and this, Whipping kid just kicked through the rail as I was as I was getting a little bit of color and I ended up just gashing myself and I, so I was bleeding like a sieve for a minute but it was only like forty degrees so it instantly like just froze all over our faces and we were chopping the crap out of each other and it was freezing like I'm surprised one of us didn't lose a nipple <laughs> man with uh, when it when it comes to that kind of stuff bro like that's that's what I remember <laughs> you know these these just these crazy little things that hardly nobody ever saw yeah man it was great and some, what a freaking great time sometimes those are the best uh the absolute best times are the ones that nobody sees and i'm glad you mentioned that uh that survivor series incident because i was going to bring that up right as we finished because uh that was something that i remember that match it was a, it had a good spot on the card the the crowd in philly yep. was uh was insane that match was absolutely stacked and it was a great showcase and then when I got to see the yeah. television side of it and you heard that line, it was like, Jesus Christ, talk about letting the sails yeah. out of a balloon. That was terrible. Brother, talking about losing my smile. Thanks a lot, Sean. Oh, bro. And I was sitting there, I was like, okay, whatever. He didn't remember. I'll show him. This is going to be cool. Like, I'm going to get in there. Like, I'm going to get to show the whole world what I can do. Because I was just doing ECW at that time. Nobody'd seen me really. So like uh I went in there and then you remember the guy from the elimination chamber that came in and said, Hey, we all know he's gonna lose, just let him get a couple things in and then you know, have him lose. Who cares? Yeah, same guy. <laughs> the first time he did it to me. You know, he's like, Hey, you know, you no, everybody knows you're not gonna win this thing. He's like, Now do you wanna just stay in this match for like three or four minutes and completely be forgotten, or do you wanna make a moment? And I was like, I want to make a moment. <laughs> They're like, okay, we're going to have Sean beat you in about one second. And I was like, oh, you mean like one real, like one exact moment. <laughs> Stay in the ring for one moment. Oh, brother, I was so whipping mad about that. Like, just the wind out of the sails, man. And, uh, you know, I'd get home and everybody, like, you, you tell your mom, you tell your dad, like, guys, I'm on the freaking big pay-per-view with the big guys. Like, 
it's going to be awesome. Tell everybody to watch. Like, and then you go out there and you just get shit on your face. Like, you know, Oh man. So, you know, I was like, I was like, I was kind of embarrassed and it was like, ah, whatever, man. But how many people can say that they had a moment like that? with Shawn Michaels. You know what I mean? It was, it was, I look back, it was pretty, it was okay. And when I got the check for the pay-per-view, I completely <laughs> forgot how embarrassed I was. I was like, oh, Jesus, this is what you guys make all the time? Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, man, that's great. Well, listen, before we get into the, the big wind down here with the plugs, we got to just ask the final question. And uh, it's usually the more poignant one. It's the Barbara Walters question. And when you look back at your time in wrestling, especially the fact that you're, you're doing a lot of great things now in your real estate business and you're uh, you really, I mean, just from hearing you talk, I mean, you're so enthusiastic and excited about everything. It's, uh, it's really a joy to get to conversate with you. But when you look back at the wrestling side of things, you know, what do you want fans to remember about Mike Knox? Is it the hard work you put in? Is it the characters you brought to life? Or is it the story of the entire journey? What do you want us to remember about Mike Knox? You know what? That's a tough question, man. You know, I uh, I got to do a lot of good stuff. What all? What most thing is when I was just a kid. I was in the second grade. I saw my first wrestling match, and I knew from then on that's what I wanted to be. And everybody made fun of me. You know, they they're like, "Oh, that's fake. You're not big enough. Oh, you're too fat. You're too slow. You're too this. You're too that." And like blah 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 blah, and uh, you know. After all was said and done, I got to live the exact dream that I wanted to live. And it might not have been the prettiest. It might not have been the coolest. But dang it, I was there and I was there for a long time. I saw things that I could never tell anybody except in very private conversation. I always said I didn't want the money. I didn't want fame i didn't want any of that i just wanted to live that life and uh i did it and i was athletic enough and i was nice enough i never rubbed anybody the wrong way i always got some good breaks but i was good enough to follow through on all that and uh i'm pretty pretty goddamn proud of it looking back man i'm pretty happy i got to live an incredible life in the wrestling business incredible Oh, you should be, without a doubt. And please, you, you gave it to us at the beginning, but please end it here with all of the plugs that you got going on. Give us the email address, any kind of social media you got going on in the world there of uh, of not Nux. We're not going to say he's Nux. We're going to call him Mike Nux. <laughs> oh, baby, just call me Nux. That's what all my friends call me, man. <laughs> hey, if anybody out there is looking on and buying or selling real estate or getting a new commercial property or any of that stuff, don't make a mistake with a bad agent, guys. Get a hold of me. You're my people. You're the people I trust. You're the people I know. You're the people I love. You know, 20 years building relationships. That's uh, that doesn't come easy, man. Just give me a shoot me an email. M dot Hedinga, H E T T I N G A, at kw dot com, and we'll get you sorted out on the right path, man. Uh, yeah, man. You can look me up. I got all kind of weird social media stuff. I want to say like Noxy78 is my Instagram. 
Uh, I had booked Mike Knox for Facebook, but I hear that's only for, for old folks now. I guess I guess I'm old. <laughs> I have enough, you know. I got I got to you know stuff like that. I need to do a little bit better with all that stuff. I'm on Twitter, you know, Mike Knox. All that stuff's all fine and good. If you want to get a hold of me, just hit me with that email that I left y'all, and uh, I'll do my best to get back to you as fast as I can. Thank you, guys. By the way, for this interview, and I had a blast. I had a blast, bro. You brought up a lot of cool, a lot of cool, cool old stuff, bro. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.